Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Thank you for listening to the 149th episode of the Save Cast. I need to add a brief disclaimer to this episode as some of the things that we talk about may be triggering to some people. We cover topics such as suicide, psychosis, drug abuse, and bad trips. This episode as well does is not very RuneScape focused. We definitely do cover RS topics throughout the cast, but the vast majority are more IRL topics especially focused on consciousness and meditation and religion and other topics like that. So anyway, for those that are willing to listen, I hope you enjoy it. I had a very fun time talking to Loki. I will definitely be having him back on the cast in the future. If you guys want to support the cast, you can go down into the description. There's a Patreon link and a YouTube membership link where you can pledge two, five, or ten dollars, and it greatly supports the cast and it keeps the episodes coming. Thank you for your continued support. And now here's my conversation with the UIM Loki. All right, welcome to the Sebe Cast, number one hundred forty-nine with UIM Loki. Loki, how are we doing this fine afternoon? Morning for me, afternoon for you. I am doing amazing. Uh, thank you so much for having me on. I'm really excited and looking forward to all the different uh, ways this is going to go. Yeah, I have been looking forward to this. As I said before the recording, this one's definitely going to be uh, an interesting one. Yeah, I got to just say, first off, you know, I, I'm, I'm not one to just immediately compliment my guests. No, I actually am one of those people that will do that. But, like, seriously... Um, I've watched every single one of your leagues videos and this oh. is like, it basically I wasn't, I, I didn't consume your content before I met you at TwitchCon. Like I knew of you and, but I just, there's just so many creators out there that I'm like, I, I just don't give people the chance a lot of the time. I'll just be like, eh, I'm already followed to this many people. Like I just like, what's, you know, one more, but I'm not going to lie. Your leagues videos are those are the best leagues videos on on youtube oh, wow yeah Thanks, that, that's what i think personally and there's no like 
crazy, like trying to push for rank one. No, it's just like you're having a good time. You're fucking passionate about what you're doing. You're clearly enjoying yourself the in every episode. And on top of that, you actually got like great commentary. And I think that's something that's like a lost art. That's well, not a lost art, but it seems like, I don't know. It's nice to just have like a runescaper that's really interesting and has, you know, good one-liners and just like funny stuff to add in here and there so you're killing it dude oh <clears throat> excuse me well yeah thank you i definitely appreciate that a lot uh definitely put in a lot of work so it's uh i i feel it's good to be recognized and um yeah uh in terms of like just the amount of saturation there is in the runescape content creation category <clears throat> yeah i totally understand like uh there's just so many people and there's such little time to, to watch everybody. And so it's, uh, yeah, I, I find myself doing the same thing, not giving people a chance just cause I, I don't, I don't really have time and it's, there's just so much out there and so many good things that are already on my list that I'm not even able to get to. So it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy, man. There's so much out there. It's great. Yeah, no, I mean, the, yeah, it's not, it's a definitely like a good problem to have, but I definitely, oh, yeah. it's just like one of those things where, and, and a lot of the guests I'll get on that are content creators, I just haven't been able to consume much of their content. I'll try to, you know, watch a watch a few videos before I get them on just so I'm kind of caught up with what they're doing. But yeah, it's just very tough. I mean, and I have the luxury of just being able to sit on my ass all day and watch content if I cho- chose to. But <clears throat> um, so let's, I guess let's just get like a brief introduction of... Uh, who you are, I guess, surface level stuff like uh, like RuneScape and you know just how you sure. got how you got into RuneScape, how you got into content creation, all that jazz. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, this is like where you sit down for the job interview and they're like, "Tell us your life story," and then it's like, "Oh shit, okay." But uh, yeah, so let's see. Um, well, I started playing RuneScape. I think I was yeah my my best friend who was like the oldest friend in the friend group got us all into it. And we, he was, he was probably like 12. So I must've been like 11. And yeah, I remember I, I couldn't figure out how to finish tutorial Island. So I had to call him on the phone and like, ask him like, dude, I can't figure out how to, how to get through this thing. And he's like, Oh my God, you, you shouldn't be playing this then. And <laughs> from, from then on, it was just like, I need to, I need to prove him wrong. I need to prove him that I'm the best at this game <laughs> from the literal, like first, like five minutes of not being able to do it. But uh, luckily, got through Tutorial Island eventually, and then yeah, I just I guess just probably a pretty typical middle school day finishes up, and all I'm thinking about is getting back to RuneScape. Like I just found out that I can make gold rings and train this skill called crafting. Like holy shit, I can swear on this, right? Yeah, all the time. Okay, yeah, okay, great, great. Um, yeah, like holy shit, gold rings? That's so satisfying, man. I want to I want to get back home. I was riding my bike home as fast as I could to go make the gold rings and just like. I don't know. There's uh, so many memories, so many stories, and I guess just it stuck for for whatever reason. RuneScape has this special formula that just gets into your brain and just you just it it, it it consumes you a little bit, and so or maybe a lot of it. But so yeah, I guess just played RuneScape on and off until I got to college, and then. I, right around the time the EOC came out, I guess I coincidentally quit right before it came out, like focused on my studies and then came back when uh, old school came back and learned about Iron Man mode. I think that was 2016 and I got super addicted to Iron Man mode. It was like the funnest thing ever. Um, 
I, I ended up maxing an Iron Man, and then I guess, yeah, I maxed the Ultimate Iron Man after that. Ultimate Iron Man was just like, once I maxed the Iron Man, it kind of felt like it was a normal game mode. It didn't really, kind of felt like main, like a main account, and so I was like, I kind of want to increase the challenge, so ultimately the Ultimate Iron Man started uh, inspired by Autumn Elegy's F2P UAM. I was in F2P UAM for the first, like, uh, probably a year or something, just, like, having an absolute blast, like, I remember, like, mining an inventory of silver ore in the crafting guild, like, walking to the Falador furnace and then smelting them into tiaras and then dropping them and going back and just spending, like, half the day doing that. And this is in, like, 20... I don't know, like, 2020, have you? So it's not even... It's not even, like, that long ago, even though it seems like that's what you'd be doing in, like, 2006 or whatever. <laughs> but just totally living that nostalgic, old-timey, uh, you know, RuneScape thing that we all crave so that was a really really fun time um yeah and then that eventually yeah 2020 comes around and then i'm locked in my my house during the pandemic and i'm like i, I remember very vividly i was going for bike rides every day and on on this one day back on my way back home i was like why don't i just like start making a you why don't i start making a youtube channel with like runescape videos like i've had this thought like a hundred times over the last 10 years and i always tell myself like it's too late like you, you can't start now like you should have started forever ago and then i was like well if i fucking did that the first time i thought that it would have been 10 <laughs> years ago but like i eventually I'm, eventually I'm just gonna have to do it if i want to do it and so like i did it and then the first video is so bad it's like dude i literally like cringe so hard because like the very first five seconds it's like hey how's it going guys uh, welcome to my hardcore Iron Man. <laughs> like, it's, it's not even the, like, it's so bad. It's like, oh my God. But eventually, like, I guess, uh, probably after like a few months, I started finding my footing. Like it started, they started not being like insanely cringy. They were still pretty cringy, but like not nearly as bad. Um, like there was just 10 there was like five to 10 second black screens in between clips because i didn't even know <laughs> i literally had no idea what i was doing so like it's that that level of bad and so yeah i guess from humble beginnings uh I've, you know i managed to create a very I, w I would i don't know how to like really measure it it's just 35k subs so that's like you know at the beginning i would have been like insanely insanely happy to have 35k subs and then i guess like as you get bigger and bigger you know you set your sights farther and farther out yeah. and i guess move the gold gold posts keeps moving and so yeah but i guess at this point like i would say i'm like a semi small ish maybe heading towards medium-sized youtube channel so very very happy about that and um well i know i yeah yeah well i'll just add in like it's one of the good one of, one of the uh things i see at least from an outside perspective is that your content is not just like overhyped stuff or like you make like a one-off video that you know gets you a huge amount of subs and then just kind of like dwindles from there and like now i can i can literally only see your channel like exponentially growing so i i think you have uh what it takes to just if, if you keep doing what you're doing you're gonna get more eyeballs on your content so, oh dang thanks man that, yeah. that feels nice um, I actually just had something to add when you were talking about like making your <clears throat> or being a free to play ultimate Iron Man for the first, you know, however many hours you played that. What was it that eventually made you not want to be free to play anymore? 
Um, honestly, I don't. I don't have an answer. I just like, were you bored? Like, was, were you just like knowing how much you could be doing, or was it something? I guess like I was at. I was. I was farming hill giants for giant keys. So I, I was sort of at the the end of the F2P journey. Like just my, my plan was to grind Obor and like get full rune armor. And then, oh no, I'll probably quit just because like I did everything I wanted or something. But then like, okay, you know what it was? I remember. Okay, so yeah. So at the time in 2020, I was watching over my grandma's house because she was transitioning into like an old folks home. And I just happened to be in the area in the Midwest because at, at the time I was traveling across the country on my motorcycle. And so I, I just happened to be in the area and my parents were like, hey, you know, you would, would you mind watching her house for like a few months while we while we do this transition? And I was like, oh, sure, whatever. Like I'm currently like sleeping uh, in like, you know, open fields and like out on trails and stuff. And like uh, so a house sounds kind of nice and she has a nice house, too. So that was that was good. And so um at the time, man, like she has this, uh, she had, she really loves books. So she has this like library in her basement, essentially. And I wasn't playing RuneScape at the time. I was probably taking the longest break I've ever taken, which was like maybe two years or something. And so, um, yeah, it was just, I, I started living there. I went in her library every day and started just reading like Plato and Aristotle and like the great Western works of society, of, uh, the world. And there's just like a, a ton of good stuff in there. And so then, and I started volunteering at like this animal shelter and it was like, and I was you know, reading about like uh, quantum mechanics on like Wikipedia and like, I got really into like energy and like, um, like nuclear energy and all that kind of stuff. And just learning about like uh, beta decay and like a bunch of like, just, I, I'm just naturally so curious about everything. And so science is just like a, a, a extremely deep rabbit hole that you can never quench your curiosity in, which is great. And so anyway, um yeah and then and then one day man i come back from the animal hospital volunteering and i'm like i kind of feel like crafting some blood runes so like i open up my my maxed iron man and i'm just like yeah i'll just do this for like i don't know i'll just do this for like 20 minutes while i'm like reading about nuclear energy or something and then that's how it goes that's how it happens man 20 minutes one day 20 minutes the next day and then it's like oh shit actually i kind of want to kind of want to like i don't know i do something else i want to mine some rune rocks for, for, for whatever reason that's what i wanted to do and i know it's just like that sounds like a cool childhood dream may as well go do that and so then I spend an hour doing that and then the next day it's like two hours angler fishing and then it's like now i'm i'm getting back into it and it's it's subtle and it, it's insidious it, it happens gradually and you don't realize it and before you know it you're spending 16 hour days again like grinding raids and grinding bosses and it's like how does this happen and then yeah, that's so. Then I was like, yeah, I have this. I have this ultimate Iron Man that I sort of abandoned, like right at the the apex of the transition between F two P and members. Like, would that that'd be so cool to just give him members and then just like, yeah, just see see where it goes from there. And I had no idea what I was doing, and just uh, yeah, I guess it's kind of a long answer, but I yeah, I started members. I I couldn't tell you what I did th between. F2P UAM where I was at 800 total in the first episode of the UAM series where I'm at 1500, but that's, that's where it started. And then, yeah. Uh, yeah I, I guess speaking, I guess, yeah. speaking of your um, UAM series, well, first of all, there's a lot to unpack there, which I'm really excited to talk about, but uh, yeah, you're, it looks like you're the series you're known for is your UIM series. And I believe if I'm not mistaken, there's over 150 episodes. Is that correct? Yes. 
That's crazy, dude. Are they all like, uh, and again, this is me having not really looked at them because I've only really been consuming your league's content. But now I'm actually like very curious. I kind of, I'm, I, you know, that might be a series I want to binge at this point. Plus, I'm the, the UIM in general is still so foreign to me. Like I've seen enough to kind of get the gist of what people do, but not really. And the, I feel like the metas are extremely tedious. And but it it would be cool to learn because I think just you know in my you know quote unquote career of RuneScape, it, it's good to know a little bit more about what I'm talking about. Especially as like a rambler type content creator, I need to kind of understand things so who knows maybe i'll just like go in and binge your uh series but that's that's really impressive 150 episodes damn it, it's a lot man like people will sometimes tell me like dude i just watched your whole series for the second or third time and i'm like <laughs> what are you doing dude like i don't see how people like like i could never i could never like i'm looking at it right now it's just like i guess i don't know maybe it's different coming from my own perspective but like i really don't see how people have the capacity to just because honestly, dude, like, I don't know what I'm doing a lot of the time. Like, for in terms of UIM, like, there's a lot of other UIMs out there who are, like, really thorough in covering, like, like just, just tracking all of their, like, metrics in terms of, like, how they're progressing through the game. And it's I find it really interesting. Like, like Wild Mudkip is uh, someone who inspired me very early on to, like, I sort of adopted his style of videos. He just got a great UAM who... I don't know how many episodes he has he probably has over 200 honestly and so that's sort of where the format for my videos came from was just like watching him and i found him soon after i made my channel and so i was like oh he just like he just uh does what he wants and he he, he conjures up a video out of it and he posts twice a week and that's great and then um yeah i tried posting twice a week but that was too much for me i ended up doing just once a week so essentially it's like 150 videos is like 150 weeks and then i don't know man i'm just i'm just playing the game and then at the end of every week i just take the the clip from the end of the last video and go to the next clip and then put that as the first clip on the timeline and then just put three days on the timeline and then edit that out and then add another three days and then sorry i'm sort of jumping around a little bit here no i love it i love it um it's actually like inspiring in a sense because like i've I've always had this kind of mental block when it comes to content creation, especially like on the YouTube side. I, I guess part of it, like you were saying, like you can't imagine why anybody would want to watch your stuff. And it's kind of the same with me. Like, cause you, you are yourself. And so you're, you're literally playing every second of that account. Whereas, you know, another person doesn't know what's going on. So in my head, I've been, I've been playing this same account. So nothing is really novel about it at this point. And so that, and I'm just like projecting that onto my viewers. Like there's no way any one of any of my viewers would want to see like the boring grinds I'm doing at this point, because you know, it's just average day logging in again, like, but people love it. And again, like, and there's a lot of people that are not like me. I don't know if you, you are considered like a binge watcher. There's people that will literally just sit through like 12 seasons of some TV show on Netflix over like a fucking weekend. And it's just like, I, I don't understand how people <laughs> just do that, but a lot of people love it. Yeah, that's actually really important to, to, to recognize, like just broadly speaking, that like most people aren't like ourselves. And so they have a totally different like mental programming that they run every day. And it just, if, from your perspective, it probably looks like, like how could that be possible? Like clearly I'm, clearly I understand certain things 
the way that I operate in the world is like a product of those understandings. And if those understandings are right, then we should all be sort of the same in some way. And then, but yeah, I guess everyone has their own base level understandings that are different on many different frequencies. And so, yeah, sometimes I forget that it's, it's hard to remember because you get, I don't know, I get caught up in my own mind sometimes, but me too. (laughs) So, yeah. uh, what, what, what kind of got you, I mean, you said you were, you know, what, what, what did you say? Your, your grandma's library? Was that, was that it? We getting that right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, she, she lived in uh, Springfield, Illinois. So I lived in her, I ended up living in her house for like, I'm, I'm just really bad with like time, but like, I think it was probably around two years, maybe like one to two years, a year and a half to two years. Okay. And what, um, like, got you into this kind of rabbit hole of being very curious about stuff? Have you always been very curious? Was it, Did it kind of spring up upon you at, at, in, like, entering adulthood or what? Um, honestly, dude, I, so I feel like this is going to be a theme. Like, I don't know. Like, for some reason, I just, I just have a I, – I think about things as – in ways in which there's not like a central observer. And so there's not like a me who's like doing all of these things and like, and therefore when I think back to them, I don't like, I don't have like a catalog of became curious and like, and how I became curious and when like the different factors that contributed to that. And like all of this stuff, it's sort of like a, it it kind of reminds me of like Buddhist, uh thoughts where it's like there's not like a a self all that kind of stuff Mm um i've always even as a kid like i've always been like super like not really identifying too much with having a self it's more just like like when i was a kid i was just like this massive like sort of stupid idiot like laughing all the time and not having a critical thought i don't think i had an actual thought in my head until i was like maybe 19 or 20 which sounds crazy no seriously dude yeah like i i I talked to like my close friends about that they're like i just don't understand you i don't understand how you could do that like that doesn't make any sense how do you exist without having any thoughts that's like that's like anti-neurotic like you're just so absorbed in your own mind and your own narrative so you were saying like is is that correct like you were like the opposite of that where like you just were not focused on the internal monologue that was going on or is am I getting that I, right? Yeah, I don't I don't think I even had a monologue or like it was more just like just things are happening. Know. Like the universe is just yeah. happening. You, the universe is unfolding and I'm experiencing it and I'm like I'm so addicted to the sensation of laughter that like as as most kids are that I would just I would do whatever the I had learned the social behaviors to like maximize laughter so i would just be stupid <laughs> and like you know just like and and later on my friends as adults would tell me like dude when we were with you when you were kid when we were all kids it was like we were high all the time because it, it was non-stop laughter for like the entire day and weeks and months and it was just like it was a lot to handle and we we couldn't we couldn't even handle it all the time because it was just we wanted like real stuff to happen sometimes too and you were never like that. So like we, we couldn't be around you sometimes because it was just insane. Like it was almost, it was kind of manic. Like I was a bit manic and it's, yeah, it's, but now, and it's totally crazy. Cause now I'm the exact opposite. Now I'm like, I'm like super interested in like everything that's real and everything that's all, everything true. And like all the fundamental sort of underpinnings of 
the universe and like you know just everything and so that's that's why it's hard for me to say like when i become curious i would say like maybe a better maybe maybe i would say like if we remove the self from the question instead of when did i become curious just like curiosity unfold like curiosity manifested itself what like upon age uh maybe like i don't know 20 when i started having critical thoughts i guess hmm so I don't know if that's too weird. No, no. I lost a few viewers there. Yeah, no, no, that, that'll happen. But I'm actually, well, I, let me just take a step back for the audience sake. So at the Crusader party, um, can't actually, I, I don't actually know how it all kind of came about. I know you, how did you approach me? Because you, you asked about <laughs> some specific topic yeah. and then I got really fascinated and then we just fucking went down the rabbit hole basically yeah. instantaneously. Yeah, I saw you walking across the room or well, I saw you walking and then I, I was like oh Sebe and then I was like I bet we could have an immediately interesting conversation if I said something about mushrooms and so then like <laughs> uh, I know you have like a, a history with that or something yeah, yeah. Um, but so like I was like hey Sebe like I, I was kind of drunk actually so I don't remember exactly what I said but I was like uh yeah so what are your what are your thoughts on mushrooms or something yeah, like that. Yeah, and then I just instantly just, like, just ignored everybody else in the party. I was like, all right, we're, we're going down <laughs> this because I was a little yeah, drunk too. Yeah. Right, uh, right. I, I figured it'd be a fun way to start the conversation. No, that, I, I always appreciate that. I, I, it's something I'm trying to work on as well, like just brief little side tangent, is being interesting. It's just so... You're so much more fun to be around if you're interesting and you'll just, you know, kind of... Not like small talk is necessarily a bad thing, but just... You get it so often that somebody that just instantly, you know, prods you and just like, hey, what, what about this? And you're like, oh, shit, like, I actually want to talk about this. It's always nice. So that was pleasant. Um, yeah, that I so we talked for what I mean, obviously, time was a little bit distorted during that party. But I, I'm imagining at least an hour we were just sat in that corner. <laughs> yeah, it must have been. Yeah, yeah, and, that was that was great. And we realized that we do have a lot of common interests and a lot of common content as well that we consumed or like you know have have consumed do currently consume yeah. and it's um, really easy to yeah sorry yeah, no 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 you you go for it's it. really easy to just i can i can rattle off like three to four sort of like uh intellectual like public intellectual people like and if, and if the other person has heard of those i immediately know that we're gonna we're gonna have a lot of material we can talk about and i think for us it was eric weinstein and terence mckenna and alan watts those were like a couple of the i think it was sam harris guys. as well include him oh yeah in. sam harris yeah yeah no as, as soon as i heard those i'm like okay i just uh, yeah we i've consumed so much of that yeah. content so yeah yeah that i was instantly like okay this is because because you i don't get that often and uh, right. obviously there's just like so many like branches i'm seeing right now of like where to take this conversation because yeah. <laughs> i'm just excited but um well one of the one of the things i want to kind of touch on <clears throat> and there's actually even like a topic in the twitter thread kind of touching on this and it's gonna like kind of touch on some of the things you've already stated like it kind of not having that that illusion of self like impressed upon yourself and like I know that's kind of like paradoxical in a sense, but I, I feel like me growing up and, 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 you know, I, I shared at least at that party, part of my experience, 
you know, growing up in what I consider to be a cult. And, right. you know, ha- you, so you are given an identity at birth, basically. And it's not your true identity. It's an identity that's kind of given to you by some authorities. And, you know, then you kind of navigate your world in this new distorted reality where, you know, you are a certain person. There is no questioning that, you know, this is your purpose. This is how you go through life. This is what you need to do. And then you'll die and you'll get, you know, whatever you earned. So, but you, it seems like did not have that experience at all. Can you explain kind of how you grew, like what at least ideology you (laughs) grew up kind of impressed upon yourself? Yeah. Yeah. So first of all, I'm extremely lucky to have grown up the way that I did. Um, when I hear people like you, like yourself telling me this, I'm, and like I've heard various other people say this, I'm just like, dang, like when you're, when you're a kid, you're so malleable and like you're, you're shapeable into whatever form you're, you're in, you're given and, and you are given forms to be shaped into and you don't know how to identify that when it happens. And so it just, it, when it gets in early, man, it's, 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 it can be rough trying to unshape yourself. And so, um, yeah, I was super lucky because, well, this is going to sound weird, but like, so when I was nine, my dad committed suicide. I don't think I've ever said that publicly. So, uh, yeah, I'll just throw that out there. Um, I was so young that like, it, it wasn't exactly, I didn't like really understand like what that meant. And like, so even to this day, like I've, I've sort of, I sort of embody that sort of like, I don't know if like laissez-faire, like let it be sort of like it is what it is type thing. So like it's never really bothered me that much. And that probably sounds weird to some people, but like, I don't know, I was so young and I just, I didn't really, I couldn't grasp it. And so I was raised by a single mother and she is like, I don't, she, there's no way she's going to end up watching this. So I'm sure she won't mind me saying this, but she is like very, uh, she, she doesn't really have much, okay, I want to phrase, phrase this diplomatically, but like she's, she doesn't, she's kind of like a shell of a person that sounds incredibly harsh, but like, um, in a way it's actually the greatest gift she's ever given me because she allowed me to grow up without having these external forces imposed upon me about what I should care about and like who I should be, what I should become all these like expectations and all of these ideologies, like you said, I was free from all of that. I was, I was grown up with like this blank slate and like as a child, like I was free to just experience the world purely. And so like there was no yeah religious ideology or intellectual ideology or anything. And so by the time I was, you know, reaching adulthood and I was 19, I, I didn't have any sort of influence. I was just a pure I don't know. I was just like pure child, just like becoming an adult. And so that ended up causing like a bit of, a bit of uh, stress later on when I didn't, when I realized everyone else had identity, I didn't, I didn't feel like I fit in anywhere. I eventually got, got around that, but um, yeah. So I think that, I don't know if that answers, I forget what the question was. No, I think that answers it. Damn. I, yeah, I didn't, that's a lot. So, yeah. yeah. So, um, was I'm just curious that you don't need if you if it's 
too much to talk about. I mean, I know it's your mom, but like did, the shell of a person, like is that, did she have a rough time with your uh, father passing? Like, was that like, did, did, did that kind of make her into that, like kind of push her into that shell or was she already kind of, I don't know. Like That's a, a good question. Yeah. I see what you're getting at. And honestly, like my relationship with my mom, like, she, she's just sort of incapable of like maintaining a deep connection with anybody. So like, it's hard to mm. even ask her about that. So I don't think it would really get anywhere. I've, I've, I've tried like periodically, like just to, I'll dip my toe back in the water just to, uh, to try and learn about that kind of stuff. But, and we, we probably, we go out to dinner like maybe once a month or something now. So it's like, I, I see every now and then, but it's, it's pretty superficial, but yes. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if that's what made her into like into that or if she was always like that or so, I just know that she's like a sort of generically attractive uh you know white woman in America and so she had a pretty easy life in terms of like just not not easy in all senses of the word but just like in terms of like being able to get things easily and not have to do much and all that kind of stuff interesting like I said I'm an open book so yeah no I yeah yeah no I, I I'm Sheesh, that's that is crazy because uh, you know I personally have not experienced a close enough loss in my life, even as you know I'm approaching thirty at this point, and I still to this day have not had a very close death, like one of my best friends or a sibling or a immediate you know parent or anything like that. I've had you know grandparents die, but I never was around my grandparents that much. And I've had, you know, friends in high school that have passed or committed suicide. And it's just like, we weren't close enough for that to have less left a lot, um, like a lasting impact. So I, and again, like you were a child at the time. So that I also wonder, because, okay. So, um, my younger or sorry, my, my older brother, he, when he was in second grade, there was a girl in his class that he was really close to. And she died of cancer in second grade. Wow. And um, I think, you know, this is just based off of what I've talked about with my parents. But they said that he immediately had this, like, change in personality. Like, as soon as she passed and he was asking questions about, like, where is she? Like, you know, what 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 happens now? And mm. that immediately, like, um, and again, this is all just my, th there's no evidence on this whatsoever, but what I believe happened because my brother is very like closed off. He can, he's like a master at pushing responsibilities and obligations to the back of his mind. He doesn't need to worry about it. He can just, you know, I mean, and not to get like super detailed into my brother's life, but you know, I've, I've said this publicly, like he gained like a lot of weight, um, after, well, he also served um, a Mormon mission like myself. And after his mission, he went to college and he just put on a massive amount of weight and he never even realized he did that because he just pushed it into the back of his mind. And I, I, who knows, you know, it could have been something prior. I don't know, but I am a strong, like now, now I understand what childhood trauma can do to do to a person if it's like unaddressed. And I feel like mm -hmm. for him, at least maybe that event in second grade caused him to be able to like his mind basically was manipulated and just like, okay, we're going to push all the sadness, all the, stuff that we don't want to think about just to the back of the mind and not think about it. So I wonder, you know, about your own experience. Did, like, did, do you think you have like lasting trauma from your dad passing or was that just, 
or was it just not that big of a a moment? Yeah, so um I'm I'm open to it. Um I don't know. I mean, people tell me that I do like they insist that I must and then I I told them like, I don't know, I, I feel fine. Like but at the same time I'm like, well maybe there's something to this that's just so far repressed that I can't see it or access it in any way, at least currently. And so, um, okay. So yeah, I guess that I don't have to deal with any of that, but yeah, I mean, at the same time, I, part of me thinks that maybe it's down there somewhere. Yeah. That's the fascinating thing about the like unconscious brain. Just, you don't, <laughs> you don't know what's floating down there. Until you do a right. deep mushroom trip, and then you then it all comes yeah. to the surface, <laughs> right? Yeah, and I've I've done stuff like that, and I've never nothing has ever come to the surface. Well, not on in terms of like my my childhood quote unquote traumas. So, had you have you yeah. ever had a bad trip? I, I don't I can't fully recall what your experiences have been with psychedelics or any sort of mind altering substance. Have you ever had something have, like traumatic? I have had a bad trip, which actually ended up turning into the best trip I've ever had just because of that, like, uh, uh, I don't know. It was a transition from uh, overcoming that became the best trip, but, um, yeah, I don't know if, if do you want, do you want to get into that? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Cause I'll, I'll share my experience as well. Cause, and again, this is like you said, like there's the trip and then there's the aftermath of how it you feel like there was a reason why you had that and the blessings that have come from it. So yeah, I want to hear yours. Okay. Yeah. Well, so mine is like, there's a, there's a, there's some roots that I need to show off first, I guess. Um, so like I started smoking weed, uh, in college as a lot of us do. And, uh, at first I would smoke with friends and stuff and it was great and just have a grand old time. And eventually I started smoking by myself. And then when I started doing that, some psychotic like things started arising i would hear i would just like i would sort of like hear voices through the walls of the rest of the the dorm room and i would like imagine that they were saying things about me even though they weren't and so i and then i started like interpreting all kinds of sounds that came from outside my room as people talking about me just like sort of generic anxiety induced psychosis through through psychedelic psychoactive drugs which weed is and so I sort of just kept smoking weed though. Cause that it was like something that I was very familiar with and I liked the way it felt and like all that stuff. And I felt like cool for smoking weed. Cause I was so immature and like young and like, I, I didn't know what I was doing, but, um, and then, so that sort of like caused this, yeah, it caused this deep psychosis that I ended up, but I pr still harbor to this day actually. And so I'll, sometimes it'll like flare up and I'll, I'll imagine that people are saying things about me that are bad or honestly, like any sound at all. It's, it, it's, it sort of just turned into like an auditory hallucination type thing where like if a bird chirps outside, I'll imagine it sounds crazy, but I'll imagine that the bird is like saying something to me. And it's like really, if you can convince yourself of that, like you're not, you're not in a good place. And so, you know, fast forward a few years and I, I take mushrooms with one of my greatest childhood friends. And then, uh, yeah, this was like, this was 2021. And so I, I just felt this like strong 
disconnect from everything, including him, which has never happened to me before with him because we're so close. And so I just like, I go into my grandma's basement and then, because we were at my grandma's house and I had, I was just having this like breakdown, I guess. I was like, I was on the mushrooms and I was like, I was looking at my hands and I was looking at the walls and like, I was thinking to myself, like, for whatever reason, the thought, the thought arose, like, the entire point of the universe is to test whether or not I will kill myself. Like, I, that that became an undeniable true thought to me. And so then, like, I was, I, I would, ba I was basically like, okay, all right, well, if that's the entire point, then I, then I have to do it. And so, like, I really, 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 like, f was facing this thought, and it was incredibly terrifying. And I was like, tr I was trying to accept that I needed to do this and like, I was going to do this. And I, after like, I don't know, it felt like a long time. It was probably only a few minutes, but I, I ended up just like getting too scared to be like, I'm, I can't do it. Like I can't do it. And like, uh, right at that moment, my friend comes down the stairs into the basement. It's almost, it's like, how can that, if to a psychotic mind, like, how can you not interpret that as some sort of like divine, like interjection or some sort of thing like oh like here's your best friend from childhood now that you're not going to kill yourself like that's just so symbolic so it's even though it's like looking back it's it's just a coincidence but like i mean most likely coincidence but there's no way to know for sure that's just what causes the psychosis and so he he tried to like connect with me because i guess he was we were sort of separated for like an hour at that point so we were having a trip together so he wanted to connect and i was like I looking at his eyes and I just, I just felt like it's, it still rang true in my head that the entire point of the universe is to see if I will kill myself as me, like the focal point of the entire universe. Like, and so I just, I, I couldn't connect with him. And then he just like, yeah, I guess it, he ended up telling me that he thought that he was the one with the issue when I couldn't connect with him later on, which I found interesting, but somehow dude, like, I was, the basement was so fucking cold because the AC was on. It was the middle of summer and the basement AC was blasting. And I was like, if I could just get warm, I could think clearly. But like the entire point is to kill myself. So why does getting warm matter? And then I would sit and sulk in those thoughts for another five minutes and I'm just getting more and more freezing. And then like, I'm just like, I just need to get warm. But I can't because there's no point to anything, but I need to get warm so I can think. And then eventually I just, I was like, fuck it. Like, I'm going to go lay out on the hammock out in this hot summer heat of the Midwest and like just soak in the sun. And dude, it was transformative. I went out there, I opened the back door, I laid in the sun, in the heat, in the humid. It was just, it just totally enveloped my whole being. And I felt like elevated out of my skin. And like, I don't know how this happened because I was in such a horrible place like a few seconds ago. And then it just... I felt so amazing. And so then I, I, I immediately went upstairs and went to my friend and I was like, just immediately started trying to connect with him. And I was so much more open and like, probably like maybe what started happening was the mushrooms maybe started wearing off slightly or something, but actually maybe that's not true. But anyway, so um, yeah, so I, we, I connected with him finally. And then like, dude, I, I don't even know how to explain it, but like it was the best trip I've ever had because like having seen the darkness and then coming out of that, like comparatively, everything else that I could possibly experience is an absolute gift. It's an absolute pleasure to be able to experience anything else. And so like 
I was just so happy to be alive and like that I didn't have to kill myself and like all that stuff. And so like, yeah, that's just, they made the best possible experience. And then there's one more thing I'll say on it, which is just like, I somehow like managed to like flip that suicidal thing back onto the universe itself. Like, and I haven't actually quite come to terms with what that even means, but like everything that I would say and do for the rest of that day would be like somehow in polar opposite to that thought. And I, yeah, I, I'm not going to do it justice trying to explain it, but yeah, it, um, in your mind. Yeah. <clears throat> it, it, I totally can feel it, but yeah, it's, I can't, I can't articulate it. That is so fascinating. Like your, that whole story is just, first of all, it's the, so fucking relatable to what i've experienced and uh, you know because i started off with weed that was and you know i i didn't even smoke weed until i was 25 i'd never really drinking mm. much i i had a few drinks and um but again like that mormon mindset is like you're just abstained from everything basically <clears throat> and yeah, so, and I think, so I, I remember having smoked weed, and I, I got pretty chronic with it for about a year where I was just doing it alone, and mostly at nights, and I do remember kind of uh, some distinct moments where you could kind of feel the psychosis kind of bleeding in, and I never had auditory hallucinations or anything, but I would start feeling, like, because I would I would even, like, you know, take a, a rip from my pen and then go for like a walk, like a long walk. And I would start feeling like people are out to get me. You know, I would just like yeah. walk by somebody. I'm like, I feel like there is a small chance that this guy just attacks me randomly, you know, just like whatever, whatever crazy thing I could possibly think that would just be on the forefront of my mind, you know, about any right. person. And then I started getting the anxiety from it. And then um, about like nine months and I, for I'm definitely going to have a, a disclaimer at the beginning of this episode, by the way, just for uh, those wanting to listen to this whole thing, mm -hmm. just because, you know, might for some people, this might be a little triggering, but yeah. Um, like I think, well, first of all, just weed itself was very transformative for my mind. I, I, I could not believe how much your consciousness could change through a chemical, you know, just, Right. holy shit i can like actually imagine things and be so creative in different ways and and i think one of the absolute the, one of the things because i'm in, in, like entirely sober from at least um any sort of like psychedelic and stuff and you know i'm sober unless it's a social situation that you know i i'll weigh the pros and cons of but for the most part i try to live that sober lifestyle because i just know how much better I feel and you know I'll get into why that is but like weed listening to music on weed was the most transformative experience I could ever have like just, oh sure just, I mean I could lay in bed take a hit and listen to an entire album and just be like in tears basically with just how beautiful it was I could just you hear every single note that you never heard before and I'm one of those musically inclined people that already listens to like the tracks that most like you know the the part of the track that most people would just kind of ignore in a sense and and i was hearing sounds that i had never heard before in like sober reality so it was just like wow and then i got really fascinated in you know just these kinds of compounds that can change your mind and 
you know, I, I even had the, th- so this is, you know, probably six months into chronically smoking weed where I wasn't really getting much anxiety. I just, you know, here and there, but I remember thinking, I was like, man, everyone's lied to me my whole life. Like drugs are awesome. <laughs> you know, like drugs are like the best thing ever. Like this is fucking awesome. It's just, you know, I, I'm, I feel love. I feel peace. I feel amazing emotions. You know, I want to cry and you know, I'd, I'd randomly have moments as well where I have this really deep connection with my family, just in my mind, you know, mm. just, I just want to mm. call them. I just want to tell them how much I love them. And mm. like, I would never have had that just being completely sober. <laughs> just what, what, what are you doing? Telling your family you love them? Like, what are you, you, that's weird. But so I started getting really fascinated and kind of going down this rabbit hole of like looking at, you know, LSD and mushrooms and all these other things. Cause I was just so fascinated I was like, what's DMT? And of course, you know, a lot of people will listen to like Joe Rogan here and there. And I, I remember listening to some episodes with him, you know, having, um, what's, what's Terrence McKenna's brother's name? Dennis McKenna. Dennis. Yeah. Dennis. I was listening to, listen to his, listen to Paul Stamets and just other people that were, you know, just kind of in that realm. And it was just fascinating, especially Paul Stamets story. Cause you know, I, I feel like if you have a stutter or a slight, you know, vocal stutter where you just can't get words out, you can, if you have it bad enough or you have it, if you're aware of it enough, you can almost tell if other people have it. So I grew up with a stutter and I still have it to this day, but I've been able to manage it for the most part. Like there there will literally be some words I will not be able to get out, but my mind has adapted to that. And so if I'm doing a Sebe cast or doing any other sort of ramble, I will navigate that dialogue that's like about to approach my lips and just move to like a different branch basically. So I don't have to say that word. And because in my head, I can, I I can almost anticipate the pause, you know, just, I'm not going to be able to get this word out. So let's just move, move along, which, you know, what is, I hate it, but I've learned to just live with it because it leads to me not being as, um, like fluent with my speech, just being able to really articulate myself because I actually have this just automated response. Now, if I'm about to stutter, I will move the convert. I'll just kind of mix my words into another thing. And I can't ever fully articulate how I feel. And that's kind of been a curse in a sense, but Paul Stamets had a really similar story where he had a really bad stutter and he did like, some just stupid high mushroom trip and he climbed up a tree with a yeah, storm. Right. <laughs> yeah. You heard this. Yeah. Yeah. And he just said he doesn't want to stutter anymore. And he just proclaimed it basically in his mind while he was just tripping on like 25 grams of mushrooms and um, immediately came down and just, you know, he, he still has the, the lingering effects of that stutter, but it just absolutely transformed the way he could speak afterward. Cause he just something in his mind, switched and he didn't have that stutter anymore so uh, just hearing things like that like hearing things like miraculous stories and stuff was like wow i'm really fascinated now especially because you know hearing somebody else that struggles with something you did like a stutter is you just have a lot of empathy for them because a lot of people don't know how that would feel and a lot of people have their own weaknesses that you know as soon as you connect with somebody that has a similar weakness you just instantly can just empathize with them Mm -hmm. So yeah, long story short, I'm making this very long, but, um, that was, you know, I got a connection to get, you know, just mushrooms and the first experience I had was just the, one of the most 
fascinating and also the most terrifying just the thoughts of being in an endless purgatory thought looping all this stuff just crazy and I, I didn't know what I was getting myself into and like a heroic dose the first time I ever tripped and oh. and um so I, you know I could linger on these things and explain everything about it but for time's sake I'll just continue but for probably the next seven months or so because this was just last September where I was introduced to them so not not this not like a couple months ago but a year probably like 14 months ago at this point and i mean i that trip ended and i remember a distinct thought like never do that again like you're done like that that no that's just uh, you literally went to hell and you're back and it doesn't feel like you were at hell you were in hell but you were (laughs) and don't go back there and then it literally like with within that week i was doing it again i was like i'm just so fascinated like i need closure you know i need that closure sort of and i was a little bit more responsible with it trying to set up set and setting a little bit nicer and for the next seven months i was doing it quite consistently um and almost every time i would have the beatific vision of just everything's love everything's interconnected i'm i'm not who I think I am. I'm something much bigger. I'm a, I'm a part of the bigger whole, the universal consciousness, mm-hmm. all this stuff. And, you know, I'd go through some frightening phases, but nothing was hellish. It was just, I'm confused. I don't know what's happening. This is scary. And then all of a sudden the, the bright light of just, oh my God, like just the Nirvana ecstasy feeling. And you're just, it's, and every time you come back and you kind of get this <laughs> sense of like, my purpose in this world is to deliver mushrooms to every single person basically like because you just you feel like if, if you could if, if everybody could feel this at once the world would be a completely different place like we would all love each other unconditionally you know and that was really? just always the thought i would get and so i started really in my mind i just remember thinking like this is like my purpose in life at this point is just to learn more about this do more mushrooms um you know try to dive even deeper into this different realm of consciousness and just keep exploring it because for some reason like it felt as though every trip i was learning something new it was more beautiful than the last you know it it just it was so good and i remember talking about it on my stream and i was like man should i be doing this like should i talk about this should i talk about this on my youtube but but you know i'd always get that sense of like no this is like your purpose you know at this point like this this is like so amazing this is the best you've ever felt and you know even even the like the like the surface level trips of just dancing in my room i mean i would literally listen to music for four hours and just dance in my room and just be on the craziest just every every fiber of my being was just filled with love and just like sun rays basically you know just like holy shit (laughs) and no negatives either you know you come back down from the trip and you're just like i want to call my dad and just tell him how much i love him and just like what the fuck like how how could you possibly feel this way with no negatives you know and anyway so just to get to the last uh last trip i did was um the most terrifying and it was very similar to what you were feeling of this kind of calling to basically kill yourself you know this like i don't think it was quite to the extent of like the everything's focused on this one moment to you for you for me to like end my life but i remember the feeling of pure hell i mean just and again because of 
my religious upbringing, a lot of that like deep, deep unconscious just identity that I kind of grew up with was just flooding into my brain during this trip, this deep trip. And like, I think Mm -hmm. as well, part of it was the mixture of THC with the mushroom trip because I was already getting hella anxiety by this point with weed and I continued to do it and mixing the two just led to like, I mean, I was basically, I remember this like really distinct thought that like that Mormonism, you know, the, you know, cold religion that I grew up with is, was the correct religion. And I decided to, you know, follow the wrong path and now I'm going to burn in hell for eternity. And it was so real. It was like more real than real. It was just like, okay, like, you know, and, and I had this thought like, you know, God could end your life whenever he wanted and he's now choosing to, you know, end your life. Like you had your chance, like you, you decided to squander it, you know, just going down your own path and you were, you were wrong. So it was just this really, really dark, um, very, very terrifying trip. And the, the only thing I could even possibly imagine getting relief from this just pit was just to kill myself, you know, just like, I, I need to end this. This is absolutely unbearable, you know? And luckily, you know, you kind of, you know, didn't have the courage to do it. Didn't, it didn't really ever, and I was lying in my bed this whole time. I just was just trying, just gripping onto my blankets, sweating profusely and just Great. terrified. And, you know, and then, um, well, I, I, I've kind of, th- this was actually technically the trip before the very last, cause the very last one, um, was the one where I went, I live streamed it because the, the feeling of absolute just I was petrified. Like I was just completely scared to death that, you know, people were out to get me, even my family members and everything. And the only way I felt safe was to, you know, maybe, maybe contact my stream, my audience on my stream. Cause that was like where I felt, you know, comfort. Wow. And so, and I don't know if you knew that I, I, I don't, I don't, I, I assume a lot of people know like what had happened that day, but, um, I don't know. Did you? For the most part, I live under a rock. So like, okay. I, I don't. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, and again, this is during a trip and like, I, I left my apartment. I was literally under, I was like fearful of my life. I thought somebody was going to, I thought somebody was going to go kill me. Like basically if I stayed in my apartment. So I left and, you know, luckily I remained safe and nobody was affected in any way. I was just, um, but you know, I went to, a nearby bowling alley just on foot and just sat in there live stream myself and I just rambling on about just crazy stuff and live streamed it for at least a couple hours. And then as soon as that, like the, you know, the, the mushrooms are coming down and you're starting to realize that what huge mistake you've made. I mean, I was defeated. I just remember like being able to finally just come to terms with it, walked home just bawling my eyes out and just thought, I thought I was, I thought my life was over, like in a, you know, I thought everything I had built, you know, my stream, my YouTube, that was all going to be taken from me at this point. Like just nobody would watch me again. Like everything is ruined because I decided to like keep doing drugs, even though the second to last trip that i had had was so terrifying. But for some reason I just needed that closure. Like I was like, there's no way I, I you know, I can deal with my last trip being so hellish and I needed to do another one. And that was just another kick to my ass. Just like, no, you're like, you're done basically. So that, that was the final straw, um, that I needed. And it was like, 
I mean, I look back at it now and I'm, I'm really grateful for the experience because it wasn't, it didn't ruin my life. And, but it's something where it was so real and so many things could have gone wrong, like much worse than they did. And they didn't. And knowing like I was really blessed to not have had anything like horribly go wrong. Um, so just the final bit I'll say on that was after that, um, the couple times I attempted to smoke weed because I thought, okay, well, I can't do mushrooms and I can't do anything like hard, like, uh, like hallucinogen anymore, psychedelic. I'll just, you know, try to do a little bit of weed instant, instant flashbacks. And I mean like the realist flash, I mean, complete PTSD back to the hellscape, back to everything. I felt the, the pit of terror and, and then like by, I think I tried it like two times. And the second time I was like, okay, like I, I am now literally going through what I believe to be just complete psychosis. You know, if I continue to do this, I'll probably develop schizophrenia, some crazy shit. Um, cause, mm-hmm. and even, you know, I even looked up some stuff like even caffeine could, can, uh, you know, flare up, um, like psychosis if you have it, if you're, you know, so I remember even distinctly, you know, drinking a couple energy drinks like a month later and, you know, kind of sleeping on that. And, you know, I, I mean, this was very common even without a bunch of caffeine, but I would wake up at 3 a.m. and just back to this, back to the flashbacks. You know, I'd be, I'd be dreaming of the flashbacks. They would just became so like real. And I'd wake up at 3 a.m. just sweating profusely for a couple months after like my last like my last time smoking weed and, and if I ever, if I took too much caffeine, I would like also get really vivid dreams and flashbacks occasionally. So I had to like really, I mean, I was going through some shit and this is something that was really hard for me to like explain. This is like the first time I've really gone into a lot of detail on this. Um, I, you know, cause mainly my, my content's not about myself. It's about runescapes, about just, you know, chatting shit about runescape but i i feel almost like i I almost wish if somebody were to have gone like uh, were to have had a similar situation to what i have had which sounds like kind of you have had a similar situation like that alone can help with the healing process in a sense like knowing you're not alone knowing like the schizophrenic kind of like psychotic things that you can experience is not just you it's like this is a you know, like, uh, I, I, am I right in saying it's a disease psychosis? Um, you know, it's a disease of the mind, but like this, this, I guess I'm just sharing it because, uh, it's just important, I think, to make people aware of the negative consequences to like these mind altering substances and what can really happen. And that was definitely like a a changing course in my life. But again, like, as you said, you know, you find a blessing in it. And I find a big blessing in what I've experienced. And, uh, you know, it was like, it was so hard for me to quit weed and having that experience where like, I, I literally just cannot smoke weed at this point. I'm, I'm terrified of it. I just don't want to, yeah. I'm terrified to do any sort of psychedelic anymore too. Like, I, it's just one of those things now where in a sense, I'm very grateful for the experience I had because it has led to me living a healthier life and just being happier, being sober, being be able to live every day and be fucking grateful for my life that I still have. And I don't think I would have deeply appreciated it without it. 
Totally. Yeah. I mean, there's this tendency for us to reject the bad things and only accept the good things. But a lot of times it's the bad things that you experience that contextualize the good things. And you, when, when you come back from those bad things, you're, yeah, you're just like, it, 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 it sets like a, a, a lower ground, like base reality for how things could be. And then it's just, I don't know if that's quite what you're getting at, but it's uh yeah i totally i totally respect the power of having bad experiences and shaping your life in a generally positive way yeah it's it's you know i, I listen to a lot of sam harris i i've been like i've i've also just been really fascinated in just the topic of religion in general i think that was just because of my upbringing i'm just fascinated with you know kind of these irrational beliefs that so much of us like cling on to. And one of the things he says is like, yeah, cause he, he's also, you know, he's done psychedelics and he's very practiced in meditation and stuff. And just being able to take in very mundane reality and understand the absolute beauty and like mm-hmm. mir- miracle of this existence. I mean, I'm just staring at my monitor right now, these pixels on the screen. And if you really if you just sit down and really meditate on it, like this is beautiful. Like anything could become the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. And so I don't know, it's it's just a mundane sober life and being able to live my life in peace is like the biggest blessing I could possibly imagine compared to what I have experienced, you know? So, yeah, it's, it's funny because like Sam Harris is totally right. Like in, especially in the context of like, just uh especially america and like the west where it's it's like high octane high stimulation like bouncing from one thing to the next to the next and it's like the next thing that's right over the horizon is going to be the best thing ever and it's all about that anticipation and dopamine and like just sort of like defecting from that whole belief system that whole like worldview and just yeah exactly it's the meditation it's being content it's being content and like being in the present moment and just experiencing experience and that's yeah that's all about what sam harris talks about and like eastern philosophy eastern religion it's all just yeah being in the moment and it, that is when you're truly in the moment that's the most peaceful blissful experience there is and it's just in the west we're constantly being our, our attention is constantly being monetized and trying to be taken away from us well not trying to be yeah just be captured essentially and it's tough it's tough when you grow up in that because that's just what you're used to but yeah meditation especially is probably the thing that i would consider is like the absolute most important thing for any human on earth to invest time into understanding and practicing because it's it, it it's it's a practice in grounding yourself in the moment and once you've sufficiently done so, you just are in your body and you're just experiencing and there's nothing else happening. And it's like, it's so pure and it's so, to, they say to depict it in literary form is to stain it with defilement. Because to even try and talk about it sort of like brings it out <laughs> of the moment and brings it into like the the categories that we preconceived notions about that shape the way that we think about it and so it's like yeah it's just yeah meditation is yeah 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 huge the thing that like is 
so fascinating. And this is something I've like, again, this is something it's so hard to deconstruct what you've come to know. I mean, you're, you're born into a system and you know what, you didn't really have any free will in deciding who you're going to, who you're parents were what time period you're going to be born in what location all this stuff so just things are just happening to you and you're just experiencing it but i think one of the most like amazing things to recognize is there is really no past and future it's you are in a forever now everything all the past is just your mind creating a narrative of you know what you perceive to have happened and sometimes that even gets Mm -hmm. distorted and then the future is just you hoping and wanting just fantasizing about things but the only thing that will ever happen and has ever happened and is happening right now is just the now this present moment and it's the only thing you'll ever get so as soon as you can like fully recognize that this is all life like this is your existence is right now and it will it will never be any different it will there will never be a future there will only be the now and so the only way to deeply deeply appreciate and this is an impossible task it feels like you know some people have probably achieved nirvana but for me it's like this is a constant work in progress of truly embracing the moment and just realizing like if you if you if you cannot be happy right now you can't be happy like you you have to understand that this is this is the moment right now where everything can be you know, satisfied. Like you, you can be satisfactorily happy right now if you choose to. A hundred percent. Yeah, we we often view in the West that happiness is lies be, lies behind that you know raise at your job or behind that new position at the you know or that relationship or that white picket fence or whatever it happens to be for you. And then it's it's you you can happiness isn't like your circumstance it's not conditional happiness is it, it it's kind of a choice but it's it's not it's weird because like that that doesn't seem like it, it makes any sense because like yeah, i don't know this this gets into like a whole big thing and <laughs> it's a uh, huge rabbit hole to go down yeah and i i wish there was like some like just pithy answer that you could say and everyone would be like oh yeah okay and then like that makes sense and okay well we're, we're, that's great we figured it out but like i swear man I'll, I'll have this conversation with people for hours and hours and like i just can't break through because like people have these ideas in their mind about everything clearly everything that they've been told hasn't been a lie so like therefore i must be wrong because i'm giving this alternate view and so like they'll just they'll bring up 50 different examples about how this is what I'm saying is wrong. And like, they're, they're each leaning on each other for their support. And then they'll just bounce from one to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. And then I have a hard time, like keeping 50 things in my mind to try and bring it all down at the same time. But it's like, cause I don't know. It's just, that's way too many things to like think about, but like, yeah, yeah. no, you're, you're totally right. And the funniest part is I actually remember being that guy because you know, who, who, who wants to have dedicated their life to an organization like a church, spent two years, two grueling years of your life, just, you know, you're not getting paid for any of this. You are just spending every waking moment of your life for two years trying to preach something that, you know, you may or may not have believed at the time. And you're just kind of going about, you think this is the way, this is how you're supposed to live your life. This is the the roadmap to a, a happy life. That's what you've been told, you, you know, since, bo- since you were born. 
And then you come home and if anybody tries to, you know, question your belief or like, you know, well, like, so what, what was that? Do you, do you still believe in, you know, the Mormon church? Like you, you have to double down. It's just yeah. human nature to not want to have been wrong. Cause that is like the most shameful thing ever to, to admit that you wasted your time. And to be fair, I don't, I don't think my mission was an entire waste of time. I actually think I learned a lot of valuable skills, but I'll be, uh, there's, you know, I can, I can, that's a distinction that I can make. I don't have to say like, you know, my whole mission was a success or a failure. I can just, I can pick the parts that were really good for me, but to tell somebody that, yeah, I wasted my time trying to convert people to a religion that I don't believe in anymore. It's, it's just embarrassing and no human wants to, the Nash, the, the, um, natural response is to just, you know, keep doubling down. Um, so you're not, you know, look pathetic and look like you were wrong. That's just like the worst thing to admit that you were wrong. Um, and yeah, and the cruel irony yeah. of that is that that is the thing itself that is like causing whatever suffering you're experiencing is that doubling down. Like you're doing that to yourself. Whatever, it doesn't have to be Mormon church, whatever it is. It's just like you, you might go to your therapist and be like, what, what, what's wrong with me? Like, why can't I be happier? Like all this stuff. And it's like, you're choosing you're you don't realize it but you're choosing that and that can be so hard to explain to like or to try to help people understand and it's not like i have the answers or anything like i know what i'm i know anything more than you know but it's just like yeah i don't know that's it's, it's so it's the irony is so interesting <laughs> i know it's Sorry, a, i kind of cut you off no no you're totally fine i, I love it um like just weird like the because you're what 28 I don't know how old you are. Just turned thirty, actually. Okay, I'm I'm turning twenty nine next year, so we're we're about the same age. Um, yeah, there's something just fascinating about growing up, and it just it, it feels like every year, like it's just there's something something that I perceive in life that is different than what I perceived life a year prior, and just that's kind of like really cool to just kind of go through it's just cool learning like to to restrict yourself to a certain line of thinking till the day you die and to just be incredibly dogmatic about every single thing it just it's just so dull i i think now and you know that's a different perception that i have at, at this point and this is you know i did i didn't always used to think this way but it's so much better to just be free like just to <laughs> just to to just be wrong like it's not the it's not the worst thing to be wrong if you i don't know it's so much better to just be able to endlessly learn and make mistakes and learn and be wrong and correct your path i don't know sure no and we've we've mentioned the word perception a lot of times so far in this conversation that's just like it does a lot of work because ultimately every time you're interacting with like an objective phenomena it has to pass through your lens of perception first and so like really focusing on that perception and being mindful of the way you perceive things, trying to like maybe get rid of like some of the emotional and intellectual conditioning that you've attached to your perception and like maybe like a loyalty to like a certain yeah belief system that forces your perception to like materialize in certain ways. That's like an incredibly valuable practice to like really hone in on yeah, for me, it's just breaking down perception. It's trying to get rid of perception entirely, which is impossible. But like, it, I feel like it, you can make your perception less 
like lensed by just having like having a desire to develop a deeper understanding for objective I guess objective reality is one way of putting it and so it can be really difficult because a lot of times the way we are and who we are that grounds us in the world and makes us feel comfortable and secure and that's that forces our perception to be a certain way because like if if you like view this like some sort of like corporate enemy as being like this undeniably true thing and it's like oppressing you every day and someone tells you like this isn't the best example but like and then someone tells you that that corporation just donated a billion dollars to a charity you could be like no they didn't do that they can't do that because they're the bad guys and so then like you're forced your perception is is creating a, an illusion in your mind and then it's like you, you're and you're causing yourself suffering trying to like parse apart these two like s- seemingly incongruent parts of reality that feed one another and you're just left in the you're just left there trying to make an understanding of it where there's none to be had because your perception is flawed and so it's just like yeah i, I really like to talk about perception and just like yeah i mean just that. it affects everything just going like piggybacking off what you said like I mean, again, like this is just my experience with the Mormon church. And one of the things, and again, there's a lot of gaslighting when you leave the church. You'll, you'll, you'll say, this is how I felt. And this is what I kind of, this, this is what I was told, you know, was like the belief structure and people that are still in it will be like, no, well, you were interpreting, interpreting it wrong. And there's this endless kind of, there's always something to be said that will like, disprove or kind of like you know there'll be a scripture that you could just read that like see see you were wrong the whole time you should have looked at it this way but like there's a million different scriptures that you could continually go that will just flip-flop back and forth and so a lot of that and just any sort of cult at at least in my uh, personal experience but one of the one of the scariest ideas that's kind of taught pretty regularly is the idea that you live in the world not of the world and what that is saying is like the world's evil, you know, the world's run by Satan. And, you know, if, if, and, and one of the claims of the Mormon church is that they are the one and only true church. Every other church is flawed. You know, they don't have the, the, you know, quote unquote priesthood authority. So every single person that is not of the LDS faith, Latter-day, Latter-day Saint faith is wrong. And, you know, and, and you can, kind of justify things like the doctrine is that they're wrong and you know you'll go to hell for it but you know because we live in modern day uh, secular society we kind of have these little you know like kind of like the cognitive dissonance of it's like well you know it's just god is all love and you know everything will work out but then you also have the fear-mongering whenever you go to a service and they start talking about like well you have to do everything right or you'll burn in hell so you know and you have to make these covenants as well you have to like literally go through all of these actual physical rituals in order to secure and nothing's ever secure you have to continually till the day you die continue these rituals or else if you slip up at 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 any point and die within that time where you're unrepentant you'll you'll burn in hell and again it's the gaslighting of like well you know any any true believer at this point will just rebuttal me right now and say well you know at the end of the day god's all love it's like okay well why are we teaching anything about you know, this idea of eternal hell, then why, why, why don't we just stop with that? Well, because you need the fear in order to maintain the corporation, you need the money, you know? Yep. So mm-hmm. th- there's a lot of this. And I think 
one of the things that was irreconcilable for me was the idea of, you know, everybody in my perception was wrong. And so I have this, basically this, um, superiority kind of complex going on a little bit where like, I'm better than everybody. You know, I was, and, and one of the doctrines of the church as well is that you, you are in a, if you were born into the church, you were elect like you in the pre-mortal life, like God saw you as like one of his like most righteous, you know, spirit children. If, if you, if you had the, um, you know, uh, just the privilege of being born into the, the true church. And so they, they tell you all this grandiose stuff and then, you know, everybody else is wrong. And so when you're deconstructing that and a lot of people go through it, it's just, it's depressing. I mean, you've lost now your identity of basically being like this elect of God, which you have to fully deconstruct. You have to, you have to now understand the world to not be just objectively evil in every sense of the word, unless they're, you know, LDS. And I know that sounds very silly to a lot of people that are just very <laughs> grounded in reality, but when you're not, it's the, is the scariest thing to confront. And I, I think for a lot of it, it's, it's been a process that's taken years for me to finally not be, you know, it, 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 it feels weird to say scared of like the world and scared of experience and scared of adventure, but that really is what I had internalized. And I, I, done plenty of stuff with my life, you know, even going on a mission, but there was just that not being secure and thinking that everything's out to get you is just the worst way to live. It's just, it's just evil. It's just evil to be, to, to have been taught that that's how you must live is just to fear everything basically. And to cling to the one thing that is true. They'll claim it's true till, you know, the day you die. It's just, it's just dark now. And so, this is something where, you know, I'm talking about it on this podcast. There will be a disclaimer because I know a lot of people probably won't be interested in topics like this. And I understand my channels, the RuneScape channel, but th these are things that like I am like passionate about. Like I'm, I'm very curious about religion in general and just, I don't know, like living a, a fulfilling life at this point. So like talking about these things here and there is... I find it really enjoyable, but dude, yeah, I'll like even some. I'll, you know what I find is like sometimes if I just talk aloud, even to myself, like I can find so much value in just speaking aloud, just voicing. Because when it, when you, because it might feel like your thoughts are clear in your mind and like you're you're playing around with ideas in your head, but when you're when you force yourself to like depict it in language through your mouth like so sometimes hard. you can find that it's hard and it's like wait i thought i understood this better why, why am i having trouble saying this and then you realize shit you realize like oh like but this is actually what i've meant in my head and now i'm saying it out loud and i, I never would have realized that if i if i didn't say that and like obviously like saying it to other people and like bouncing ideas off other people can have immense value as well so like yeah i, I definitely definitely uh, am a proponent of just just talking about everything and just that's just a, that's I, a really great way to hone your ideas and everything it's good to have different people's opinions on things it's it's good to have yeah. a, a conversation an honest open conversation about things and for example if i had had you know because i i had had friends that had left the church before i did but out of res out of what they imagined was respect they never 
said why they left the church. So in my head, I'm just thinking, oh, they they were deceived by Satan, you know. And there's no second conversation because, you know, even they had been told their whole life that, well, one of the things that, you know, the, the church will do is like they, they put on, they they project this narrative onto anyone that's left the church saying they were deceived by Satan and they can't leave the church alone. So they're going to keep telling you that, you know, the church is bad and all this stuff and they had a miserable time, but deep down they're just wanting to sin and it's just... So you have this kind of preconceived notion of like, if you do leave the church, you shouldn't really talk about it because then you're doing exactly what the church thought you would do, which is bash about it, you know? So, but I wish now at this point in my life that somebody that had left would have maybe, you know, maybe confronted me about it. Like, hey, what do you believe? Like, why do you believe this? And like really tried to push me on certain things because I actually feel like I would have been able to progress through my deconstruction in a lot healthier of a manner. Instead, I just went about it alone entirely. So my channel's RuneScape-focused, which is why I don't bring up a lot of this stuff oftentimes. But at the same time, I'm not going to just silence myself just out of, you know, quote-unquote respect. It's like I, I'm just trying to be honest. I'm trying to have an open conversation about ideas and limiting that f- out of this fake respect is just odd, in my opinion. Yeah, if... I'll, I'll just say if your belief system is robust and like true enough, then like you should be able to say anything about it and it should be able to withstand critique. But like these, these belief systems that are thousands of, I don't know how old Mormon is, but uh, I feel like it's probably a thousand or more no, years old. It's uh, oh. made in 1830 in New York. Oh shit. Okay. I'm way off. All right. <laughs> yeah. Shows so much I know about religion. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> A lot of these, a lot of these religious systems are have have stood the test of time because they they employ certain policies that you have to abide by, and in doing so, like prevents you from getting out of it. And so, you're just they're they're sort. Of, I, I just had the thought to say that they're sort of devilish in that way, but it, that's probably not like uh, the best way to say that. But, <laughs> um, yeah. No, but you you yeah. see, like, and again, like, I'm, I'm really rambling on about this at this point, so let me know if it's, it's tiring you out. But, like, I've read now several books, or at least listened to the audiobook ver- versions of it, of, you know, people that have been in cults and people, you know, the mind control tactics that are used in certain, and, and these are not, like, the mainstream religions. These are more, like, I don't know if you ever heard of the Moonies. But there's that was so. that was another cult group. It's still around. I think it's called like the Unitarian Church or something like that. Um, but their nickname was the Moonies back in like the 50s and 60s. And it's very similar to Mormonism. I mean, there's a lot of these mind control kind of techniques. And, you know, saying the word mind control is instantly like, you know, people think it's kind of like superstitious. And oh, what are you talking about? You know, people aren't, you know, controlling your mind through these, I don't know just mysterious you know mystical ways it's not mystical by any means it's literally just creating fear a a deep sense of fear and a deep sense of security and absolute total truth so you know if you get sucked into these ideas it's pretty easy even for brilliant people i mean there's a lot of brilliant people that are natural ideologues and so they they gravitate toward security and a purpose a true reliable purpose and again, like everyone's mind's different. Um, you know, some people like maybe, may, you know, maybe, and this is one of the topics that I had mentioned on the thread is like, is religion, a, is it a utility for, you know, functioning society? And that's just like a very 
very interesting question because like I, I don't know i don't i don't know how other people think i don't know if you know i think the part of me is that mm, I, I don't i don't think so but then again i mean we have this society because of the certain belief systems we have everything's technically a belief at the end of the day we just agree on these common myths but um i don't think it's necess necessary entirely because you know, at some point I was really depressed about leaving my religion and I kind of like clinging to it in some sense, like deep at night when I would think about, you know, existential thoughts. I'm like, I, I, it's like this just predisposed like uh, reaction to just cling back to my religion because it gives me that security. Like, okay, like, you know, I'm, I'm safe, I'm safe, you know, but um, slowly deconstructing I've been able to just see life in a completely different way that's actually a lot more liberating and a lot more full of like real purpose I feel like and you know that purpose I can make myself which I find a lot more beautiful and satisfying are you familiar with uh Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari I've read all all three of his books oh great yeah, yeah. okay so very recently I, too I, I sort of I really think that he's on to something there because I mean, I'll, I'll just say this. I'm sure you know, but for the for the viewers, perhaps um, the idea is that like religion first spawned as, and you probably know this better than me, so correct me if I'm saying this wrong. But religion first spawned as a way to uh, expand belief systems beyond the uh, Dunbar number, which is the uh, theoretical amount of people who you can keep in a close social net. So like some somewhere with apes sapiens at somewhere around like 100 150 people mm -hmm. and so like uh us as homo sapiens um essentially developed religion out of our i don't know if it's the neocortex so wherever we create abstractions from reality abstract thoughts we can essentially leverage those thoughts into uh amassing greater numbers by creating belief systems that essentially I don't have to trust that the tribe next door is either with me or against me. I know that if we hold the same flag, if we believe the same religion, that we're on the same side. And therefore, you know, we can go and raid that other troop, that other monkey troop across the river. And it, it's it, we're, we're secure in our belief. We're secure in our relationship that we won't defect on one another. We can go take over them. And then grow our empire and just keep on growing and growing and growing. And it all comes from the religion, which is essentially just a belief system. And that's, it's, it's, it's that they, I think he says in the book that that's the way that sapiens ended up like essentially dominating every other species of ape from Neanderthals and prior, which was that we had a, they like Neanderthals were bigger and stronger and they were probably even smarter in some ways, but because the sapiens were able to amass greater numbers through forming abstractions of reality, which is ultimately the world we inherited now, which is fascinating as a separate point. But we were able to, yeah, just obliterate everything else. And, uh, you know, survivorship bias will tell us that that's the, the, the prevailing strategy that ended up winning out was the best strategy. And so um, nowadays, though, I mean, like, we've achieved a, a point in modernity where um we don't really we everyone there's there's just resource abundancy just makes everything so available for everyone and even if you're like deathly ill from childhood to adulthood you can still like get by in a lot of cases which 
obviously previously before modernity that wasn't even possible but so so i think he i don't know if he says this explicitly in the book i haven't actually read it i've just like heard him talk a lot but he says that religion played a part a, a huge part almost a vital part perhaps in establishing society today um but nowadays we're sort of beyond the utility that religion can provide for most people and so uh I think he probably concludes that we should let it go or something. I don't know how he, so that. So one of the brilliant things that Yuval does for the most part is, at least in his books, he very much is unbiased about a lot of things. He just says it how it, he, how it is, and he doesn't add his own bias and, you know, his own kind of projection onto that, like of what he thinks, you know, every, everybody should do, which I appreciate. You know, obviously he he is, I, I think... You know, and I, I listen to a lot of his clips and stuff because I just find the man, like, extremely fascinating. And he also has gone through, like, 20-plus years of meditation. And that clearly shows in his work because his, like, Sapiens was just insane. Like, that was the most captivated I've ever been in a book, ever. Like, it's just yeah. so well-written, so fucking fascinating. And just so pure too it's just like so pure like everything everything he says if you have an open mind enough it is it, it makes perfect sense it's just really really fascinating so highly recommend the book sapiens but um yeah i think it's just you get to a point where you have to start when and the, this is a just endlessly complex problem it's just this you know, there is no right or wrong answer. Every single problem and solution to modern society at like a grand scale is just infinitely complex and there's no perfect way for any of it. So I think the, the biggest, at least in my opinion, I think like religion reform is just the best way to go about it because religion is just so, so ingrained in just our society, like globally. And, the most appropriate action, at least in my head, at least what I've listened to and stuff. And again, I'm not an expert on any of this. I just listen for entertainment sake, basically. But it sounds like reform in general is the way to go because, you know, the culture and the diversity and the, you know, the beautiful things that have come and sprung from religion, it, it should, it, that all doesn't need to go away. The, the worst parts are just the really barbaric, really um, pre-modern ideas that are still ingrained in these books that claim to you know not be able to be changed at all this is the the dogma that must be maintained forever and so when you have a vision now you know one of the one of the problems with a lot of religious beliefs is this idea and any sort of uh, mormonism is a sect of christianity and so you have this idea that's very kind of grim but that the world's going to end and jesus is going to come back so there's a it's just kind of like it kind of gets ingrained in you that like you know what's the purpose you know you kind of have this like very very shallow view of the scope of our universe and the scope of our world and existence and the existence of creatures and stuff like for some reason at least in my head and a lot of probably like fundamentalist religion religious people probably think the world's going to end in the next 50 years and jesus is going to come back and save the day so you you kind of have you had to have to like defeat that in a sense in order for people to understand like the world's going to the world is going to continue um and you're going to die one day everyone's going to die one day and like this is going to continue so can we see in 5,000 years if we haven't blown ourselves up yet? Like, is, are these beliefs compatible with a, f- f- like, flourishing society, like, of, 
you know, being very intolerant of certain people and certain people's identities and other things like that. Like, no, that optimally, if we want to live in peace and harmony, we have to, there's so much beauty and diversity, but we have to be accepting of things. And so like, I feel like just reform in, at least in my head is just the best way to go about it. And most, most Christianity has really done that, to be honest. It's like, you know, like for the most part, there's no, people agree with the modern, um, secular, you know, ideas of just, you know, people are equal and, you know, people have the freedom to live a life that they choose to live as long as they're not hurting anybody. And that's like beautiful. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to live anywhere else like that than I do. Like the time period and the, and the location I'm at, like, I'm so fucking blessed to have so much freedom. And like, I think that's sure. so important. Yeah. And just to, to tack on to that, I mean, like, uh, like I've been to, uh, I've been to Europe a few times and like, I went to France one of the times and like the Notre Dame cathedral is like one of the most beautiful man-made things that I've ever seen. And it's just like a lot of the, the church symbology or, uh, symbolism in like, um, just like the architecture that they, they employ in their, their buildings and such and like the, the the massive church halls are some of the most beautiful things you can ever experience it's in like the when the when that chorus echoes through the the walls and like it's just it's transcendental i mean when you experience that there's nothing like it and so there's there's definitely a lot of things in regards to religion that are very undeniably like positive so it's like yeah you definitely don't want to get rid of those i mean that that's just our that's just our heritage as a species is all that stuff. Mm-hmm. That's incredibly valuable for sure. Yeah. That's, it's, it's again, very complex thing, but, and, and the other thing that's really hard is, you know, just trying to imagine like what kind of world, if, if you could imagine a world that you would want to live in, that's, you know, optimally fulfilling for every creature and, you're getting maximum happiness, maximum pleasure, maximum, you know, pleasure in the sense of, you know, you, you have the pain to maximize the pleasure. So you have a little bit of pain to, in order to really just get that perfect optimal climax of fulfillment and exploring the galaxy and all this stuff. You know, Sam Harris talks about this a lot of like what his idea of the moral landscape and just really what's going to optimize the happiness of sentient creatures. It's like, that's that's an impossible task to even dream of. I mean, how are you supposed to yeah. imagine a perfect, perfectly just functioning world and society where you have billions upon billions of creatures living very optimal, fulfilling lives? I mean, it's just it's right. such an impossible task to imagine. But I think like we're I think we're slowly chipping. I, I'm an optimist in the view of like humanity especially is like just i think we're we're slowly chipping away and slowly like getting to a point where like we're more and more people are flourishing so i think that's just true like in in a lot of ways that you can measure it and sort of separately it's it's interesting that uh, a lot of people around you will t- will tell you that the world's falling apart so it's like i mean i think poverty and like uh uh, starvation has just been consistently going down every year for the last like hundred years or whatever. Mm-hmm. But yet the media's, you know, negative clicks get way more attention. So like, it's just uh, all you hear about is the negative stuff, and so people internalize that, and then 
that they get like depressed thinking about how bad everything is and then i mean maybe it's maybe that's not to like trivialize certain bad things of course but like for the most part like world worldwide like things are improving as technology improves and mm-hmm. and, a, and a lot of like uh, and the other thing i think is that real truth like real truth is going to set us free as humanity i don't think there's like a certain point where truth becomes unbearable and we just fucking become incredibly neurotic and just want to kill ourselves you know just i i think the more we truly understand what this universe what our reality is what what is really going on the more we're going to be understanding of each other and deeply compassionate towards each other because I don't know. And I, I think that's one of the n- coolest things about living in like today's society is just at least, you know, I've kind of deconstructed my idea of free will as well. I've, I'm very like determinist. I'm in that determinist camp at this point of just, and I think there's a lot of beauty in that. Some people kind of get terrified of that idea that like you don't have free will, but mm-hmm. ultimately you can very, you can empathize with anybody. I mean, nobody chose to be who they are. Yeah. Nobody, nobody chose to be born and have the circumstances that they had. And so as you know, you see, I remember even as a kid, just, I was told my whole life, like, oh yeah, these drug addicts, you know, they're, they're just, you know, just bad people. They're going to burn in hell, you know? So you just kind yeah. of like internalize that. I was like, oh, okay. People are just inherently bad. And you know, there's no, no hope for them. No, no empathize. Don't empathize with them. It's not worth it. And then when you finally start deconstructing that, you realize like, nobody chose to be who they are like if they had your circumstances they would have turned out like you if you had their circumstances you would have turned Mm -hmm. out like them and i think that gives so much empathy and that gives so much compassion to just your fellow brothers and sisters across the earth it's just like so i guess in my head and again this is just me just fantasizing about stuff but I, i really do see a day where we can like really come together and see our differences and like just understand each other at a very very deep deep emotional and compassionate level so like that's i think i had even mentioned at the crusader party this like idea of like telepathy of like you know who who knows you know we speak the english language which is like impossible to fully communicate what we're thinking but who knows maybe you know there's one day where there's like you know it's ai develops a technology where oh yeah by the way we're completely telepathic we just haven't really like honed in on it so now we can have a very pure conversation that's unadulterated, just perfectly, just everything that you are feeling is going to be fully communicated to the next person. I mean, I've, I've definitely had like trips that have felt that way where I feel like I'm connecting with somebody on a much deeper level than surface level vocal language. Yeah. Yeah. So, you, I mean, you just said like a bunch of things that in and of themselves would be like super interesting to pursue and I want to pursue all of them. Um, but it would, it would probably take like a hundred hours each or something. But like, I mean, well, just to touch on the last thing you said there, telepathy. I mean, I do remember we talked about that and like, it's super interesting to think about this in this way, because when you, like, if I like, I wave at you, I'm not like, we're not exchanging verbal communication. Like I'm conveying an idea from my mind to your mind just by simply waving now obviously waving is like a much more like explicit form of communication but even if i blink at a certain time or if i take a a sharp inhale at a certain time or if i like orient my body to face away from you slightly at a certain time or like you know whatever it is micro adjustments those are all like i'm communicating we're communicating that 
24 seven all the time, no matter what, unless you're like, maybe not 24 seven, but like 20, 23 seven or something <laughs> like that. But so it's like, that literally is telepathy. Like, and you can pick up on that. I mean, it, maybe it's not to the, to the extent where like we're exchanging images through our mind at like a 10 gigabytes per second rate or something like that. But like, yeah. we, we are communicating like, and that that's, I always, I think I first like realized that like when I started having critical thoughts in my mind and then I was like, it's kind of scary. Cause I was like, wait, I'm like communicating how I feel all the time to everyone around me and they can like see it. They can like see into me. And I was like, at first I felt like really vulnerable and like kind of scary. And then, I mean, it still does just to some extent today, like under certain circumstances, if I am feeling like a certain way and it's not appropriate for the environment, then like I might feel like I st- might start to with feel more withdrawn away from it because I don't want to be seen for something. Um, like if I'm just being socially awkward in a social situation or something, it might, in, in, people might be able to infer that I'm like a weirdo or something. And so they might get that, that get that idea of me and then not, not even know it consciously, but like it, it'll, it'll pop up in their somewhere in their mind. And then they'll probably just act on that without even realizing it. And then, I don't know. It's just, it's a whole big thing, but I just, I just love how sub vocal body language is in and of, it is in and of itself, like a form of telepathy. Cause yeah. It's, yeah. And the craziest thing is just evolutionarily speaking, like we just have picked up on every little twitch and movement of our, like facial expressions and hand gestures and every like breathing and the way your neck's positioned, like we will pick up instantaneously yeah. on everything if you're in person-to-person communication like that. Um, let's. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, did you have any? Well, no. I mean, on? I could I could go on that for forever, but. Well, well here, let's let's take a little break. Um, I'm gonna go pee, fill up a, my water a little bit, and um, we'll continue this. I wanna I wanna talk uh, as well about a couple Twitter topics I'm eyeing right now. So uh, sure, yeah. take a, a just a couple minute break. I'll be back. I guess we'll kind of, uh, you know, it's a little bit of a branch off from what we were talking about. But uh, Zout is asking, what is life like in a monastery? What things did you do day to day? I'm un- unaware of this. Yeah, so um, I just did a bunch of push-ups, by the way. So I'm going to be out of breath for like a minute. <laughs> I I so. fucking love that about you. Like you, <laughs> dude. That's the kind of shit I do. I just try to resist it on stream because I'm gonna be fucking panting for air. But that's, that's fucking giga chat. I like have to if I don't. I mean, I could already feel it sort of encroaching on me. But I I just get like really frenetic and just I have to let out that energy, otherwise just it just consumes me. But love it. Um, yeah. So yeah, I lived at a. Uh, it's a Zen center. I call it a temple because they're they call themselves the Green Dragon Temple. It's a it's it's the first um, it's the first like Buddhist uh, Zen Buddhist temple in America. It was founded in the seventies in California, which is where I'm from. So I lived there from 2017 to 2019, and uh, yeah, it was like pretty crazy it's just essentially monastic life you're living with a bunch of monks and yeah the day starts off at five in the morning you meditate for about an hour to two hours you have breakfast then you meditate and then you work for four to five hours like at a there's like a farm and a kitchen and a 
uh, like a pretty standard just monastic uh, sort of thing. Um, and then, yeah, you meditate again, and then you have dinner, and then you meditate again, and then you go to bed. And then that's like pretty much the whole life. Uh, I sort of like, I, I'll tell people that I live at a lived at a temple for a few years, and then they'll think I'm like talking about like Nepal or like some Theravadan temple or something. Yeah, but that's what I was thinking. It's in, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So now nowadays I'll start by saying like it's a Zen center, and then I'll maybe eventually get into calling it a temple. But because uh, it has a different feel to it, I guess if it's like an American thing, but. Can I ask you uh, a, about like your experience with meditation? This is just just recently. I mean, this earlier this summer, I really started getting into it using the waking up app and like really trying to just focus on the breath and go through those, you know, those initial courses and everything. And I definitely did have some groundbreaking meditation things, even just for like the 10 minutes I would do it of really. And, and again, I think this is part of part of the utility i would say of psychedelics of having done them is understanding that kind of ego death in a, in a light sense of like okay there, there really is no center to who you are i mean and i think being able to have fully like really realized that in some of these trips was it's a lot easier it was a lot easier for me in this meditation to like reconceptualize that like in sober reality of like okay I really can't find the center of who I think I am. And so you getting to that experience, getting that, like just being in that state of mind is really uplifting and it, not even uplifting. It's just, it's just neutral. It just makes you just it, all the shit baggage you were dealing with. It just washes away and it's really nice. Um, but I've, I've kind of fallen out of the practice here and there. I think when, when life's on the up, it, up and coming, you know, you're just you're feeling a little bit better about stuff, and you're playing a lot of RuneScape. It's hard to fall into good meditation practice. So, what what was your experience like, and was it difficult, like getting into initially? Yeah, I mean, a lot of what you just said is like pretty valuable. Um, it was, I think, for me, like uh, I always, I don't know, I always had like a very I always like heard people talk about Buddhism and I was like, huh, that seems like interesting to look at. But I never, I don't know, I never like really dug into it until I came across this temple. And then I, I was, it's kind of a funny short story. Just, I was an Uber driver at the time and I had one of my passengers like take me to a green dragon Soto Zen temple. And I was like, what are you talking about? It's just like a, like a I've, I've lived here for my whole life. I, there's not, there's not a temple out there. You're, you're crazy. Like, what are you doing? And then, He's like, no, there's a temple up here in the mountains. It's, it's out of the way, but it's there. Like, sure enough, you'll see it. And so <laughs> that's how I found it. And then I, I I brought her there and I was like, oh, well, yeah, sure enough, here it is. And I, I just walked in and wanted to look around a little bit. And I was like, this is pretty, this is pretty cool. Do you guys like mind if I live here? Like <laughs> she lives here. Like, do, do you guys accept people just randomly? They're like, yeah, sure. You can, you can live here. And I was like, like when when should I start? And they're like, oh, you, next week. And I was like, okay, all right. Well, I guess I'm gonna do that. That's crazy. Yeah, I just jumped straight into it. Like like cold, total cold turkey. I was like dating this girl at the time, and I like told her about it. We were already sort of like uh, nearing the end of things. It felt like so. 
it was just kind of like a catalyst to transition into a new thing. And so I, I ended up, you know, we ended up parting ways. And then, yeah, I just lived there for six months right off the bat. And then, um, yeah, meditation, man. I, I we, we touched on this earlier, but meditation is obviously sort of like the main focus of living at a Buddhist temple. And so um, it's, I mean, it's crazy. So like, first like probably three to four months of doing it i don't think i really got much out of it because the first thing that you have to learn is how to like you have to learn your own body and you have to learn like a way in which you can sit in 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 an extremely still position such that you don't have to think about your body for the entire period of the meditation session which is like 40 minutes and if you're if you don't know your body well enough like you're going to be twitching and fidgeting and just moving around and such you're not going to be able to like get into those deep mental states so once i finally got that down with a with a bunch of help from all the monks there um yeah i started like (laughs) i started having these like experiences were just like and so like my none of my body is in my like visual field and it's completely still so it's not moving and after sitting in that state for like 40 minutes to an hour, like after I get up to like continue on with the day, having just been meditating like for that long, I felt like I couldn't feel my body anymore. Like, cause I couldn't <laughs> see it. And like, I was just so, it was so still, like I just couldn't, I just couldn't feel it. And so I would, I would move my arms forward and it would feel like I'm moving a mountain. Like, even though it felt effort, I was effortlessly doing it. It felt like I was effortlessly moving a mountain, and then I would move my legs out of the position, and then like that felt like huge. And like I would look around, and like everything around me just felt like I was seeing it for the first time, kind of. And like I, I just, I'm, I imagine I just had these like extremely wide eyes, and like a, my mouth was agape, and like, and then you know that that feeling lingers for as long as it does, you know, at first, probably just like a few seconds. And then after months and months of doing that, you know, it, it lingers for a few minutes. And then eventually you, the, the whole point of the practice is to be able to exist purely in that state, to carry on that meditative state throughout your day-to-day life. And so, you know, when you, you meditate with all these monks who've been doing this for like 70 plus years, a lot of them, and like, you can you can watch them and like they instantly drop into the meditative state and then like it's like and it's not it's like it's not like that kind of sounds like crazy from like the perspective of like a someone who's not like involved in this because it almost seems like i don't know like cliche or something but like or like like it's not real or like Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't mean anything or it's not they're they're diluted or something but like also, there's probably a lot of ego along with it. Like, oh, they think there's. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. So cool for doing that or, or something. I don't know. But so anyway, yeah. Um, yeah. So this practice of meditation was just like, man, you, you rip everything away. You rip out all your conditioning. You rip out all of your intellectual grasping and all of your ideological shaping and all of your everything. And what you're left with is nothing. And you're able to view the world from a completely pure perspective. And that is the key that is that that in and of itself like every every issue you might be having melts away and like it'll start to reemerge as you get back into your normal headspace and you can see it you can see it like for the first time there was so many things like i could suddenly see i'm like oh my god like holy shit like i didn't realize that i'm running this passive programming at all times like that's that's been there forever i didn't know that that was even there because it's always been there and then suddenly now you can contextualize it because it got you know, it got it melted away, and that, yeah, as everything slowly encroaches back in on you, you get like this extremely firm grasp on everything that's going on, like in your subconscious, I guess. And then, yeah, it's just a, a practice of seeing those things and just simply being aware of them, sitting with them. And you don't, you don't even have to do anything. You just like all you need to do is be aware of them. Like you don't have to perform any action to like resist it or try and fix it or whatever. Like once you see it. You know, that's like the you, you can then on top of that, start doing things to try and uh, like uh, work on your life in any way that you want or whatever. But seeing it is like the most incredible first step to take to like in order to, yeah, uh, presumably you might say attain enlightenment or something like that. But So the, um, the yeah. programs like the software we all run is that I mean, that. It must be essential to survival in general and it's something like kind of a necessity but it's good to be aware of what it is is that the case or, or would it be better if we just never had these kind of you know potentially harmful softwares running in our brains 24 7 yeah there's there's probably a lot of things that you're never gonna see i guess because it's just like your biology and your chromosomes are f firing and like neurons are are going and it's just uh you're limited to being able to perceive things as a human in some sense um so yeah i mean there's but there's also different magnitudes of survival there's like social survival and like actual biological survival and like surviving in the workplace and like all that stuff um so i, I guess like when you when you're saying survival you mean like biological survival just yeah, I mean, I mean, even all the concepts of survival that we have, like you just listed. I mean, it, so these. I, I guess my main question was, and I, I've kind of already, I have an answer in my head already, which is yes, they are essential. But these, the software that we run is essential, but it's also a healthy thing to understand that it is just software and it's not our what we you know deem as the self, you know. So so meditation 
in practice and understanding that these are all just concepts that can be washed away briefly to really get a better grasp on, you know, what we're dealing with and stuff is a very healthy thing, but it's also good to go back to, you know, those, that software with a a better understanding of it. Sure. So yeah, yeah, there's a good way to answer this or to interact with it, which is at the, there's a lot of scripture with Buddhism as there is with plenty of other religions. One of the things in Buddhism is essentially you've got like five main survival based roles that people will take upon themselves to maintain for the rest of the community at the temple. Like one of them obviously is you need to eat. So there's a chef who like prepares the food for the temple and there's someone who runs the meditation hall for everybody to make sure that the meditation hall is like the proper environment for meditating. Um, you know, you've got to grow the food. So there's like the farmer, I guess. And then there's all, all the, all the basic survival needs are taken care of. So that way the rest of the community can focus all of their efforts on meditation itself to, I, I, I'm hesitant to say achieve enlightenment because it, it actually, that idea breaks down when you get into the, the whole ideology, but for now, I mean, that's just like a, a, a fine way to, to phrase it for like a, a service level explanation. But um, so yeah, ideally, you're delegating your survival needs to other people. And so um, you want to get rid of as much of that as possible. So you can truly focus your efforts on meditation practice and just the complete cessation of all, they say, body, speech and mind and all of the conceptual things that occur within the mind and um yeah i don't know i don't know if that no but that that was good that was good that's what i wanted um okay i want to really take a transition here and read what mudkip has asked (laughs) as a couple questions relating to another do you have any opinion on Bitcoin? And if so, can you explain in depth how and why you feel that way? It's the in depth that gets me. Um, <laughs> yeah, so a lot of my viewers will know that I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of Bitcoin. I'm glad we left this sort of like towards the end because a lot of people hear the word Bitcoin and they immediately click off. So um, I would say toward the middle. I don't know if we're okay the end gotcha, quite, gotcha. quite yet but gotcha yeah. well maybe it's the end it's gonna be the end now because yeah it's be, no. yeah it's gonna yeah. be the end for all the listeners for us now yeah we're, we're... Right, right right yeah so man that's just such a huge question i don't there's there's way better people out there to explain the intricacies and the value of bitcoin what it is how it's supposedly gonna do what it wants to do and um all that stuff. But I guess just like as a very brief way to touch on this. Um, man, no, see, I don't even know where to start. Okay. So like it's a, it's a, it's just, it's a form of. I feel like Bitcoin. most, I, I feel like most listeners will at least have an understanding of what Bitcoin is myself included. Okay. So, okay. Uh, I, okay. Well, one thing you can clarify is, and again, this is, I feel like a, um, a common misconception that most people have already come to terms with, they, they understand. But can you explain the difference between Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies? Like other sure. sort so of, like, yeah. 
if you want to imagine gold as like the global reserve currency for the earth, you know, we all denominate, we used to denominate all of our reserves in gold before we went off the gold standard, um, which a lot of people still think we're on the gold standard, but we were effectively off it as of, uh, depending on your definition, 1944 or 1971. Um, but if you imagine that someone found another rock that looked just like gold and they're like hey look at this I found another found another thing guys let's use this one because as you maybe uh it's not as heavy as gold so we can transact with it easier or it's like you know we can whatever whatever the trait is uh it's more easily recognize recognizable or it's more divisible or it's like whatever and then a bunch of other people say hey yep that's great let's let's do that Th that's essentially in that analogy, Bitcoin is the gold, and then all of the other rocks, which is what they are, are is every is every other cryptocurrency. So a lot of a lot of Bitcoin proponents will say there's Bitcoin and then there's crypto because every crypto to ever exist that's not Bitcoin essentially is a clone of Bitcoin. It it, it runs some form of Bitcoin Core, which is the underlying protocol that behind Bitcoin. And so it's kind of sad that as someone who really likes Bitcoin, that there's so many, there's so much scamming going on and there's so much like just horrible things going on. There's like trafficking going on with like, I mean, I, 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 I don't, there's so much shit going on with, with the quote unquote altcoins, the alternative coins. Um, and Bitcoin is forced to like reconcile with that because people have this idea that Bitcoin is crypto because it's a cryptocurrency. It even says in the white paper, which is like the, inaugural paper talking about the the all of what bitcoin is that it says it's a crypto cryptographically secure peer-to-peer -peer digital currency and it, i think it says cryptocurrency in there verbatim so people can undeniably truthfully claim that bitcoin is indeed a cryptocurrency and it's no different than all the others because it says it in the white paper so it's really hard to like get people to like understand that and like sort of strip away their understanding because it is, it is undeniably true and they can point to it. And if they want to believe that, then they can believe that. And there's nothing that you can even say to disprove them because they're not, they're technically not even wrong in some sense. And so, um, yeah, Bitcoin is the gold, which is, it, it's just, it's non, it's, there's no central authority that controls what it is. It's decentralized. It's, uh, millions of nodes around the world contribute their, say and what they think bitcoin is and then the it's a democracy so whatever the nodes agree on as being true is true for the bitcoin network and it'll run the code and you can anyone in the world can submit uh code implementations that they want to change and if other people think it's great then they'll run it too and then bitcoin in that sense is malleable it's just it's a it's a global money for the people that you can send instantaneously around the world with certain uh ways to do it for free like they're bitcoin is a technology and so we're building technologies on top of bitcoin one of them is called the lightning network which is just uh sort of like the base level uh secondary layer solution to make the transactions much faster and cheaper and so um i mean this can literally be like i've spent hundreds of hours of my life like researching bitcoin and looking into it and like there's and it, it, it continues to blow my mind like it's the most crazy thing dude like every day i something blows my mind about bitcoin and like i've been in this space since 20 like 17 like 
we're six years in and it's still and Bitcoin itself is growing. So there's more things that are happening on Bitcoin, which those things blow my mind. But even things that have just been there the whole time, like certain like game theoretical manifestations that happen with like adoption and like technological advancement that are that are coming from this thing. It's like it's literally I'm, I, I say this with no hesitation. Bitcoin is thing that i'm like most optimistic about in the entire world if, if bitcoin wasn't around i might have like a much more dreary outlook on everything because it literally has implications that are so far reaching such that the entire world can change like in an extremely positive way and then at this point i would direct you to a public playlist that i have created uh, on my channel which will slowly indoctrinate you into the, <laughs> into the all that bitcoin has to offer so i want to just add on because um one of my absolute favorite interviews that lex friedman ever did was with michael saylor and yeah i i love the thing is i'm not in that bitcoin space or i'm getting flooded with a bunch of you know crypto any any sort of videos on that i'm just i'm not i never like I, I became quite fascinated with it when I saw this like huge rise up to almost seventy thousand, I believe it hit at some point, and then, mm-hmm. um, you know, I was kind of I was dabbling in it a little bit with a little bit of money I had, and just just kind of fascinated on the whole thing and the way Michael Saylor would talk about it. It's just like you know, it, it, it's just very it's that indoctrination where it's like this is it like okay there there is after listening to this there is no denying that i need bitcoin now basically like the, the, he's making perfect sense um and the thing is I, I really haven't done much research other than just listening to a few things and kind of hearing people that are really uh, you know obsessed with it and the thing is is i, I really haven't I, i'm aware enough to understand that bitcoin really is like the crypto like the other ones again are all just like the shit coins and um Bitcoin. It's just does. a perspective, by the way. A lot, a lot of people don't agree with that, and you know, there could be something to what they're saying there. But I just wanted to make that little caveat. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. Um, I think Bitcoin, at least in, I'll just say it a little bit more precisely, is like the most pure form. It just doesn't have any sort of governing body at all. It's like completely just up to the people, and um, yeah, it's it's just it's like one of those things where. You know, we are living in just a completely unprecedented time. And it's it's like one of the things that actually kind of fears me is not hopping on the train uh, currently. Like right now, it's just I just don't have enough interest. And then one of these days, okay, so this is just for entertainment's sake, not for financial advice whatsoever. <laughs> what do you what what do you see Bitcoin's price being by like 2050? Like, do, do you have any like... <laughs> Yeah, by 2050. So like, I'm t- I'm talking like 27 years from now. Like, or or we could even make like diff- we can make like three different things. Like 2030, 2040, 2050. Like, do you, what do you imagine Bitcoin's price being by that point? Yeah. So the good old price question. Yeah. Um, Again, entertainment funny, like, for entertainment's sake. Gotcha. Gotcha. It's it's funny because like when you first start out, the price is all you care about, and then like. There's a lot of people who say they they come for the price action and they stay for the technology, and then like eventually, yeah. After after having been in this space for like seven years, like the price is almost and it it sounds like it, this might be impossible to actually be true, but I I really don't even care about the price. Like I 
I mean, when it goes up, that feels good, but it also feels bad because like I ultimately want to be holding as much as I can to be as prepared as possible for the future. So it's like, it's funny in that way, but in terms of, yeah, this, the price prediction question. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, so uh, within the next like 10 years, I would say I would not be surprised at all if Bitcoin was over a million dollars a coin. And that sounds crazy. There's plenty of math to back it up. Like if we get the the Bitcoin ETFs that are getting potentially approved within the next month, like that could potentially be trillions of dollars injected into the asset via like pension plans. And if Bitcoin never ends up being like a backing for bonds as like pristine collateral, it's easily like a trillion dollar injection. And then once, if the government is holding it in as, as a bond collateralization, like that essentially just gives the green light that, you know, it gives the government's blessing and everyone else at that point will be like, oh, well, I guess there must be something to this. Uh, that's like that last part is subjective, of course, but in terms of like the mathematical objective way of observing it, like if Bitcoin goes to $5 trillion, um, you know, that's like, that would be, Bitcoin would be worth uh, yeah, $250,000 at that price. And so gold is currently worth about $10 trillion. So if it exceeds the value of gold, which a lot, pe- a lot of people would say objectively it does, it, maybe it doubles the value of gold or triples the value of gold. And that's when you get into multi-million dollar bitcoins so that that being someone who firmly believes in the in the game theory and the technology and the just the economics of it and psychology of it and every single way that it manifests the physics of it the thermodynamics of it the energy side of it like there's there's so many ways to to look at it and it it's all pervading and the libertarian side of it the freedom side of it there's just efficiency of it there's there's literally an an endless amount of ways you can look at it and so yeah long story short um one million dollar plus easy within the next 10 years 50 years i don't know because like that that also brings into like question like the the threat of like a global catastrophe via nuclear war or stuff like that so i don't know 50 years is too far away for me to comment but yeah interesting interesting um okay so this is just we're gonna keep this one brief only because i feel like we already kind of touched on this in the early part of the cast but uh arazi asks when you go on rambles about life and existence where did you learn about all that and what what makes it i guess i'll kind of add to this like did did was it a conscious decision to like kind of include these kind of rambles in your series like do do you find that I don't know. Was it was there like a, a decision behind that? Like maybe my RuneScape content will be more interesting if I just throw in some stuff I think about on the daily. No, it's funny actually. Whenever I go on the rambles, the viewer retention just like plummets. So it's like <laughs> it's 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 no way of a benefit to like it's seemingly through the analytics. So it's like um, no, I just I just like I mean as you know, RuneScape grinds can get insanely long, and so like. I'm just thinking to myself, like, dude, I've been playing for six hours today and I haven't recorded a single clip. Like, I got to do something. So, like, I just start looking at the ground in the game and, like, looking around at the characters. And, like, I remember, like, recently I was doing Giant Mole and I look off to the eastern side and there's all those little, like, uh, like white, shiny dots, I guess, from probably some other part of the game. But I just made, like, a little fun thing about interpreting those as, like, 
some sort of mycelial network and it's like shimmering because oh my God. of some reason or another. And so I don't know, I just I'm just having a little fun just talking about it. And then um yeah, I don't know, I just plus there's like when it when it comes to psychology, like when a, as a player playing a game, there's inevitably like psychological things that occur. And so then that sort of just immediately tracks on to real life psychology because they're inseparable. And so then I can just talk about things that I find interesting because I enjoy doing that. And then, um, plus, I don't know. I, it's just, that's, I think that's just the style of my content is just like streamlined consciousness. So I'll just be talking about whatever the fuck is happening inside my head. And then it ends up taking like, <laughs> it ends up that I end up doing like three tombs of a masket for the entire video. And the rest is just me talking. And so then it's like, kind of a lot of times I'll upload a video like that and I'll be like, dang, like this is not really like much progress. And so I can totally <laughs> imagine like no one would want to watch this. Cause like, it's, it's just a guy literally rambling. And so, yeah, like that can be hard to like think about sometimes, but I mean, ultimately I guess if people are watching it, then like, I don't know that's, that's something. And, yeah. And 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 you also have to remember, like, so many RS players that watch RS content are playing the game on the side, or just yeah. listening to it. So, you, literally, I mean, the, the the video aspect of these things, like how much progress you made, like, yeah, some people care about, but I would almost say the majority of people just are just there for background noise. Yeah, and that's that's a super interesting thing that might be kind of unique to our category. I'm not like too sure enough to back that up in any way but it's definitely like a yeah nice little thing that we can well lean on as creators i guess for uh just like i don't know if having an easier time is the right way to say that as a creator but um i don't even know what i'm saying right now but <laughs> no, the other part of the question yeah. <laughs> um what was that actually where did it go uh Oh, it was just about like, what did you, where, where did you learn about all that? And I feel like we kind of touched on that at the beginning of just your curiosity and reading a bunch. Right. I'll um, just, I'll, I'll talk yeah. about one more thing to that okay. real quick. It's just like RuneScape is the kind of game where like, sometimes I feel like I have RuneScape in the corner and I'm just like clicking on it every now and then. And what I'm really focusing on is, yeah, like intellectual podcasts and like audio books and stuff like that. So it's, kind of weird to think about it in that way like runescape's almost secondary to like me just being on my computer and then it just so happens that i can monetize that secondary thing and then yeah that's just a very interesting thing that i think about a lot which is like wow this is a very fascinating experience that i'm extremely lucky to be able to have for sure yeah okay so we're, now we're gonna do a little uh turn around back into runescape because i actually i deeply and passionate about this video game i'm uh sure. been been obsessed with it since i was literally nine i did i did take an eight-year break though from 2007 to 2015 i was heavily into like guitar hero 3 i, I got really oh, yeah. into just guitar hero in general but guitar hero oh, 3 yeah. was my go-to and i got like hell oh like were you into that i, I do no i i think i five-starred every song on expert yep. on guitar hero 3 same same yeah. Dude, we are so like there is actually so many things that we are very similar. Like the more we've been talking, yeah, fascinating. Now, I I was I was so the only song. Actually, let me let me think about this. The only song I did not five star on Guitar Hero Three was "The Way It Ends." 
That was like the second to last song on the bonus track. That one is tricky. Yeah. That one was, it, it, it just wasn't fun. I, I just did not <laughs> enjoy. Yeah. Th- there was something about like, it just, for, for most songs, I could get it down. I could get the rhythm eventually to, with enough practice. But that song just pissed me off because of just the constant needing to strum and hit these yeah. combo notes. And then these micro breaks where it's just like, it was it went too fast. And the thing is, like, if I if I put in enough time, I probably could have five-starred it. But I ended up only four-starring it. I do remember the one song that i just i fucking hate it i just didn't even like yeah, playing i know it. exactly what you're talking about <laughs> yeah yeah you, you you can i can literally like imagine the fucking notes yeah. coming down right now but um no i stream in front yeah. of me yeah. <laughs> yeah but what one of the one of my greatest uh i think accomplishments because i when i when i five starred almost every song i then started wanting to gold star every song um oh. and i knew i wouldn't be able to but I wanted to get as many as uh, possible. And I think I did like 37 or 38. It was like half the fucking okay, playlist. Yeah. That's so, way better than me. I think I only got like two or three. Yeah. So so I became hyper. Well, I also discovered the Guitar Hero high scores on guitarhero.com. So they were mm. up for only a brief time. You know, as soon as they started coming out with more games, they eventually they just got rid of it. And I was so pissed off. Like imagine just getting rid of the RuneScape high scores just randomly. Like what the fuck are you doing? But one of the songs that was actually ranked two on on the global leaderboard was My Name is Jonas. And I was tied for the top thing because, it, first of all, My Name is Jonas is an incredibly easy song on Expert. It's just very rhythmic. It's very simple to the point. But the way you would get the highest amount of points is by activating star power. like yep. it Just like a, a, a little bit before you hit that note. So you kind of delay a note to hit yeah. the star power because Guitar Hero 3 had so much leniency with the notes hitting, yeah. you know, the hammer-ons especially. You could just fucking kind of just be a lot more lenient with it all. And then you would, and, and you would have to know exactly when the time, exactly when the star power ends so you could hit that final note early. Yeah. And so that's what it's I would calculus. do. Is, yeah. <laughs> and, and the best part about My Name is Jonas is there was no long notes that had star power activation. So there wasn't a constant need to just strum the motherfuck out of it, basically, to get maximum juice. You mean so, whammy? Yeah, whammying. That, what did I say? Yeah. Strumming. Drum. Yeah, whammying. Um, because a lot of those songs where you have to whammy super hard yeah. just to get all the star power, that seemed to be very difficult to get that perfect high score. But my name is Jonas. I actually, I literally perfected it. Like I, I found the exact optimal oh. spots to to do it and then and then i became obsessed and i think my like the best song that i gold starred that was probably the hardest was i think threes and sevens i think that was like the i could never dude the 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 one i was absolutely most proud of was threes and sevens because i'm proud of you yeah thank you um the, the one the one i really wanted was number of the beast and i was very close but every single time that solo would come there was one part that the notes were just too fast and the only way I could pull it off were would to have been practicing for countless hours trying to get my fingers, you know, having to basically do like a double hand tap briefly. And the only song I was willing to do the double hand tap was just the beginning of Through the Fire and Flames. That was actually yeah. like, th- that, that was the most fun I've ever had is like just being able to flex doing a double tap yeah. on, on that intro but then the rest of the song just goes to shit I'm just fucking right just, Wait, did you pass it yeah I, yeah yeah I, I think I, I've said I five star every song but I don't 
definitely did not five star that. Yeah, I, I five starred through the fire and flames mainly because I liked oh, the song enough um, to yeah. just keep going. But th there was absolutely no way ever I'd be able to gold star it. Like there, there was a yeah. YouTuber, Guitar Hero Phenom, that was just like I don't know if you ever watched Guitar Hero YouTube, but is like whole families watching him or something? No, okay, so that was um, fuck, I forgot his name. No, no, they, I, I know what you're. I literally know the video you're talking about. It's like the fucking yeah. box theater TV. They're doing like the Guinness Book of World Records shit. Oh, was it really? It was Guinness World Records. Yeah, they they oh, okay. like got people wow. there, and he's just sitting there, and their family's watching. And he he didn't even gold star it, but um, at least if we're thinking of the same video, I thought but, he did. But oh no, 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 yeah, you're right. He didn't. He didn't. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, this was early on. But then this guy, Guitar Hero Phenom, came out of the blue and j literally was a robot. I mean, he just wouldn't miss. He just everything was flawless. He was like the Port Cazard. Just comes out of the fucking woodworks, yeah. just dominates everything. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I got very, very hyper obsessed with Guitar Hero for uh, several years, and then I got into like my Call of Duty phase, Minecraft phase, br very brief Minecraft phase where I was hyper addicted and then just fully burnt out. <laughs> and uh, it's just been RuneScape since. Did you have a history with games before? Uh, I guess sure, for yeah. total obsession I mean with RuneScape. Yeah, all those games you mentioned, maybe not all of them, um, but definitely Call of Duty. And like, I was really into console games back then in like uh, my like late teen years. So, like, played all the Halos, uh, Call of Duty. I played one of my favorite games is Kingdom Hearts. You ever played that? Yes, my uncle played it. And I, I, the thing is, I never had a PlayStation 2. And that was where mm -hmm. like that game, I think, first started. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Kingdom Hearts makes an appearance appearance in pretty much all of my videos. It's it's like almost like the the very first uh, town. I guess it's the second town, but it's kind of the first town, Traverse Town. That's like my intro music for all my videos. So it's like there's always like at least one comment where it's like props on the Kingdom Hearts music. So it's just a nice way to I guess bomb with people because it's it's so nostalgic and it's just the music track is so good and like yes. the game is great. I love it so much. Um, yeah, also, like, I don't know, Final Fantasy. Just a lot of, like, the major titles that everyone else has played. I've probably played most of those. Were you a, 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 games. Were you a PlayStation 1 or, like, a Nintendo kid? Or either? I, I didn't have a PlayStation 1, yeah. So, I my first console was the Super Nintendo, and then mm. the N64, and then PS2, and then GameCube. And GameCube was legendary. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, actually, you know, Super Smash Bros. Super Smash Bros. Melee. Yeah, yeah, I actually got like super into that. Not like, well, relative to the average person, super into it, like competitively, and like, um, I was like, do you know what a wave shine is? No, I, again, I'm, okay. I wasn't like super into it, but I had friends that were hyper obsessed. There is the skill cap on that game is insane. It's insane, like. I don't even know how it's possible they're doing one they're doing one frame inputs like constantly which is theoretically like should not be able to happen like human <laughs> mind can't even like process that fast so i don't know i don't know how that's possible but one time i did a wave shine out of shield i'll just say that if the viewers know what that means then they can they can use that to contextualize my my melee prowess but that's the thing i'm most proud of i would say <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, no, that yeah. was one of the games. I, I feel like because I discovered Melee like later on, and I already had friends. Like you know, when when you when you're a kid, and there's already your friends that are 
drastically better than you at something you just kind of like lose interest uh, if you have like the competitive nature just like you know i just I, I don't i don't care i don't even care to be good at this that was like me with that game but if i started off better then i'd just become like hyper obsessed and want to keep dominating all my friends at it but i had a friend in particular that was just brutal at melee he would just destroy me and and i was that fucking coward that would use kirby every time because i'd but most yeah. of my deaths you go up to the top and you off. down yeah. B, and then you <laughs> yeah, go back up to the top and you down B. B. <laughs> down fucking V on my chest, dude. Yeah. Yeah. And then just every, because like every one of my, if I played any other character besides like maybe Ice Climbers, um, actually, was Ice Climbers on Melee? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just making sure. Uh, because I did play a lot of Brawl as well. But yeah, just the falling off was fucking aggravating. So it's just Kirby was my go to all the time and people would use the actual good characters and just wipe my ass. But, um, yeah. So I, yeah, well, I guess I asked about the PS one because one of my absolute favorite games of all time was legend of Dragoon. And oh, four Wait, is that Zelda? No, 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 no. It was, it was another JRPG similar to like final fantasy, but it was like, it was kind of like a kind of competition to uh final fantasy in the PS one days, I think. But it, it didn't captivate as large of an audience. It was still big. It was still a big game. It still sold like millions of copies. But relative to like the size of Final Fantasy, it just didn't didn't ever really like take off popularity wise. And but it was a four disc game with a super in depth story that made you just fall in love with the characters. And there was a and one of the one of the coolest parts about the game is it was like this um, cool addition. Uh, system with the combat where like you, you whenever you attack like it was still like a turn-based combat game but in order to perform your attacks perfectly there was rhythm to it so you would run and do like a five strike combo and you have to hit x right as the squares like connect into that like center square and so like it's kind of spiraling in and then you hit x and then occasionally there would be like a like a parry against the monster so you'd have to click or you have to tap circle uh, in order to like successfully dodge that parry and that was just so cool because by the end of like certain characters, you'd have like a fucking eight attack combo that was like hyper complex, at least for the time. Mm-hmm. And when you master it, you feel like a fucking god. And like the more <laughs> you get like these successful combos, the more you level up your addition. So your, your attack just nonstop gets more and more and more powerful. And so by the end, you're just literally, you're battling God himself, basically. Like that, what, <laughs> what, what, well, it, it's a wannabe God. It's a God that's basically like the, you know, demon overworld. He's trying to take over like the whole, you know, world and uh, you're fighting him and he's just seemingly unbeatable, but you have like your team of three people that you choose from your uh, arsenal of like eight people, I think. And, uh. Just go in there and start fucking whooping ass and you guys are all pimped out by the fourth disc and god damn man like that i've probably probably beaten that game like eight or nine times i even was yeah. playing it in college just from like oh. a emulator yeah yeah sounds like i missed out yeah no, but the thing it's all in the, i can't say it's all nostalgia based but any of those games back then like there's just yeah. no way if you didn't play it as a kid you're gonna get into it you know right there's that childhood attachment to it. Just, I, I wonder as well with Rune. Let me ask you: Like, do you think somebody could become as obsessed with RuneScape in adulthood as like as the people like me and you do be, because we grew up with it, or, or is, there, is there just so much nostalgia attachment? That is a great question. Yeah, I mean, 
I've definitely seen like streamers who I'm sure you've seen who've like started like six months ago or a year ago. They never played, but like they never played the original. But yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't have an answer for you. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. Because I want to say it's mostly a lot of nostalgia to it. But there is something just like I, I, I don't think there will ever be a point in my life where I won't enjoy playing old school runescape if it's still around you know like it's just it's one of those games where you know like as a kid you think yeah i'll grow out of it eventually and then you don't and then you're in your early 20s and then you're in your late 20s and you're like is my brain gonna develop any more than this i'm pretty sure it's already <laughs> fully developed so like i guess i'm just completely uh, just captured by this and i don't think it'll ever leave my you know body and mind i think runescape's pretty internalized at this point and i think i'll always find like a good dopamine rush from it yeah dude like even just the other day i was like walking through varrock and i was like i just got hit with this wave of nostalgia like just felt like exactly like it did when i was a kid and like i mean it doesn't happen all the time like there's probably like whole days where i don't feel like that nostalgic like and when you're like deep into the end game and you're mm -hmm. you're just like grinding and grinding but like Every once in a while, yeah, like, this was just a crazy feeling, and I just felt so happy, and I felt so, like, it's, it's crazy. I felt like I was a child. I felt like a, a child me just for a moment, and, uh, and it was, like, it just made me feel so good, because, like, before you get sort of, like, corrupted by the world and all that, like, you just have this, like, blissful, pure, innocent, childlike perspective, and so to be able to, like, tap into that is incredibly valuable, like, there's a lot of you just a lot of people don't get that very often and for whatever reason you know runescape stuck around for as long as it did and those of us who i guess we're lucky enough to try it out and develop a relationship with it get to experience that like as adults so it's just super cool yeah and i'm dude like i as much as you know i make rambles talking about like maybe potential bad updates or things I don't like. Like, dude, we are so fucking blessed to have, like, the Jagex team we have that, like, guide really? this game with the community in mind, like, completely. Because yeah. they they could have just burned this game to the ground if they wanted to in just a matter of years, but uh, it's been almost 11 years now, and it's still just flourishing, which is just beautiful. Yeah, it's truly amazing. Um, Do you, like, so... Again, this is kind of me still learning about your sort of play style. It, it does sound like you are kind of, um, I don't know, pretty, pretty, I don't know, like a, like a long-term player, I would say. Like, can you explain like what ulti what your ultimate goals are? Like imagine, I don't know, if maybe, maybe this is a bit too far. Cause, and I'll kind of frame this by saying like when I think of playing RuneScape, like there is a, I think like a deep part of me that loves the completionist style of playing this game. Like if there, if there was no such thing as mortality <laughs> and I could just endlessly put time into this, I would love to just, you know, and there was no such thing as, you know, human needing to yeah. sleep and eat and take a shit and need to exercise and stuff. It just fully brain into the video game. I would love to like go for 200 mil and the skills I enjoy and go for clues and hunt third age and all these things, you know, but there's just, you know, there's obviously limitations to being human and, doing that and obviously like balance in life but do you 
like obsess over RuneScape like I do in that aspect? Like, do, do you have these kind of long-term goals that just kind of excite you about the game? Or is it more like just the fun you're having in the moment? Yeah, honestly, dude, like, <clears throat> excuse me. I start off every day by getting a coffee and then going to my desk and booting up RuneScape. And it's not, it's not even really a thought at this point. It's just like, this is the world <laughs> that I occupy. And... This is this is what I do, and so like, I'm in there, and I'm I'm just like, oh well, you know, like, yeah, obviously, yeah, I have like goals, I guess, that I set for myself. Um, and then, yeah, I guess, yeah, I don't know, I guess I think about it a bit differently. It's just I just am playing it. I'm I'm playing the game, and then I guess while I'm playing it, it may as naturally goals just emerge because yeah, there's that like feeling of like wanting to. Just like acquire whatever the sick thing is and like maybe the boss specifically feels like it's really fun then like the the drops come secondary to that or whatever it is and i guess from like now that it, now that i post pretty much everything that i do these days it, it also has to take into account the viewer perspective so like what would be interesting for the viewer to watch there's a bunch of things that i've really wanted to do that i that would just take too much time so i never did them because i i didn't feel like it would be worthwhile from the viewing perspective. And so like one example is my, my ultimate Iron Man. Uh, I never got 99. Construction was my last 99, which is arguably the most important 99 for a UAM <laughs> yeah. to have. Yeah. So like, I just, for whatever reason, my style of producing videos, I just, it could never work it in. I could, I could never just, it, I was like six hours or like 16 hours away for like over a year. And I just like <laughs> never fit it in. So like, that's awesome. I just didn't get it. And then, um, yeah, I forget what, like, the actual words you well, use for the question. Well, here, I'll just, just, we're just talking RuneScape. But here, let me kind of, like, lead this into this question a little bit because I'm very curious. Kyle is asking, when grinding for the Mega Rares, what raid was your favorite to grind? Can you explain how pimped out your UIM is for those that don't know? Actually, what is, what is your UIM's name? Just, I want to look it up. Is it just UIM, UIM Loki? Loki. Okay, just yep. making sure. Yeah, max 650 mil extra. Jesus Christ. Rank 72. That's crazy shit. And you have a ton of boss KCs everywhere. 800 chambers. Um, the hell was Tob? All these things have fucking shifted a million times. So 728 yeah. Tob and whatever the hell. 907 Toa. Can you explain your journey through raiding? Are you have you completed all items at raids the only one i need is the tombs of a masked pet and like some tertiary the tertiaries oh wow oh so you even have the other two pets and so you have all items and pets just not maybe the capes and stuff yeah the capes and, the, and then like the transmogs for yeah. ftoa okay so can you oh oh i just realized i didn't even say but you've also done 775 challenge mode chambers yeah jesus christ on a uim okay explain the journey of uh your rating yeah so basically i mean this 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 thing so happens to coincide with like where i got i think my most subscribers ever in one month i had this thought back in 2019 which was i really want to get the twisted bow like what if i did like and i know that the twisted bow is like roughly one in a thousand so like like on, on normal chambers. So I was like, what if I did a series where it was called 1,000 Chambers of Zarek or Twisted Bow, whichever comes first. Because like, 
that that seems like a, a huge thing to undertake from the viewing perspective so mm-hmm. like it just seems like an interesting thing like oh god is he really going to do a thousand like i you know like let's find out or whatever and i knew that i had it within me to to do a thousand chambers because i love doing chambers and so like and plus at the end of it i might get a twisted bow to have on a uam to like that just unlocks a bunch of other content and so like yeah that's sort of where it started that was probably my favorite raid of, of all the raids just because like i was still like bushy-tailed and bright-eyed back then like freaking out over like every purple that i got whereas nowadays like i pretty much have everything so i, I think I, I think at that point i kind of peaked when i got the tebow some people will maybe attest to also feeling the same way um and then yeah i guess that sort of became like the brand to some extent so i did 500 chamber or sorry 500 theater of blood or the scythe of it or whichever comes first because i guess like 500 is probably around the drop rate it's probably even less or i don't even remember i think i think in three mans it's like one in 600 for you individually gotcha Um, yeah so i I didn't want to do like a i didn't want to do a 600 or 700 i I guess i wanted to keep it like even so i just did 500 and then i ended up not getting it within the 500 so then the series became Scythe of Vitter or Scythe of Vitter, whichever becomes, <laughs> or sorry, whichever comes Scythe of Vitter. And so a lot of people liked that one. And that's just like this ongoing joke where people will just like come up to me in game and be like, croc- like I'll be killing a crocodile for an elite clue. And they'll be like, crocodile or crocodile, crocodile, whichever comes crocodile, or like whichever <laughs> crocodile or something. So that's always fun when people say that kind of stuff. And then, uh, yeah, I ended up getting the Scythe eventually. And then I did the 1000 TOA or to uh the shadow whichever comes first series and god man that one like i think it took me about seven months of doing toa pretty much like six five to seven days a week like all day like i was just kind of next level like i i kind of starting to get defeated like and i'm extremely stubborn like i'm not the kind of person to give up on anything and so like i don't think i have given up on anything in, in runescape so like I wasn't going to give up. I, I was going to get it if it took me a, a year. Like, I was willing to, like, essentially just, like, throw the YouTube away to, like, get this thing. Because, like, I, I literally made 32 Tombs of a Masket episodes where I was getting, like, thir- 30 to 40 KC per video or something. And some of them, like I mentioned, only have, like, 3 to 5 KC because I just, like, was talking so much. But, like, um, yeah, eventually after seven months, I pulled the staff and then... It's kind of a euphoric moment because I obviously like I wanted it to end, but at the same time, like I've now completed all the raids and I've once I started that chambers grind and went straight into TOA or uh, went straight into Tob and then straight into TOA after that. I've been doing raids for two years straight. That's just been everything that I've done. Now I'm done with all the raids, so it's like where do we go from here? I guess. I mean, at this point on the account, like honestly, there's not a whole lot of things left to do before I pretty much have done everything and so like um yeah in terms of like completionist i'm I'm almost there so like there's it's sort of scary to think like well i'm gonna have to make a new account or something soon because i, I don't the idea of being a pet hunter i feel like is more like a twitch thing mm. and i'm not like I do enjoy streaming, but like it's, I think it's way more enjoyable for me to make YouTube videos in the privacy of my own room, not being like 
super eyes on you like, nonstop. Yeah, yeah. Just feeling on edge almost. That's right. Uh, you're probably like me, like naturally introverted. I'm assuming. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean that that when I think of you know like a content creator, I think most people, at least in the OSR scene, that really are just introverted and love just gaming by themselves and locking themselves in a dungeon for a week on end with no sunlight. Like they they could pull that off if they chose to. Like. I feel like optimally people would really lean on the YouTube side of things because it really is just full isolation and just being able to have fun and not there's there's just not that like there's there is something and again this is a little bit of projection on my part but there's just that anxiety inducing feeling that a lot of people get with just going live and like the, you don't know what to expect lots of times it goes great and a lot of times you'll have a lot of fun, but there is just that nonstop. I just, there's just like a hundred eyes on you, you know, or more just nonstop. Right. Don't. Yeah. It's just, there's a lot going on, I think mentally, but uh, yeah. I'll just say a big part of it for me too, is like, I kind of need to be like stimulated intellectually while I'm playing. So mm. whatever it is, I'll have up on the second monitor. So like when I'm streaming, I guess theoretically I could do that, but like, I've never wanted to do that because I want to be present with the game and with the with the chat and everything. Yeah. And like I've I've theorized about like having like a literal podcast up the entire stream while I'm playing and like everyone on the stream is forced to listen to it if they want to stick around. And then that's the only way that I could see myself like streaming more consistently. But like I really that's just an idea. I don't think I'm actually ever going to do that because it doesn't I don't know, yeah, no, no. I compl- I've literally considered that. I was even like, I've, I wanted to listen to fucking Atlas Shrug by Ayn Rand. It's like sixty-five fucking hours on, uh, <laughs> on yeah. this audio on the what is it called Audible. And I was like, you know, what would be really awesome is, you know, I'm not going to be able to find that because it's just one of those things where it's like this is really long. I could be listening to other books, and you know, I don't know if I'm willing to give this whole thing a shot i could just fucking read it on spark notes and get the gist which i already have but still would like to read it but it's like one of those things where like that'd be kind of cool to you know stream it and then i'm like that that is the other pressure at least when it comes to you having already been a stream like when i think of myself like having been a streamer for multiple years at this point like people have an expectation yeah. when they come to my stream yep. and, and you unraveling that you kind of destroying that and for even yeah. just a brief time it just sets a new precedent like oh this stream isn't as fun as i remember all right i'm not watching this guy anymore and right. so so me doing something even if it was just for a brief time just to you know stimulate myself in a different way just okay like i want to i want to get this red because i'm fascinated by it you know it's just that that wouldn't be a possibility or it would be like this is too attached to my livelihood at this point. I can't just go yeah. around doing shit like that. Yeah, you have a secondary scary. channel potentially, but yeah. Yeah. It's funny how just innovating can be, can be so scary because the potential payoff is there, but also that comes with the risk associated with, with it inherently. And so, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and the payoff is just the comfort and the luxury of just being able to really just listen to what you want, do exactly what you want. And, yeah. um, yeah, that's definitely the, like a huge payoff. Do you, okay, so let me ask, like you're full-time, correct? In the content creation department? I never know how to answer this because like implicit within that question is like, um, it's your main source of income. Yeah. But it also in, implies within it that you spend most of your time doing that. Mm-hmm. I, I do obviously spend most of my time doing it, but it's not my main source of income. 
Oh, so do you do you uh, like work at all? Like, do you like have a? Well, no, it's not like. Well, it's so I like investments and shit. Like, yeah, I have an investment portfolio, and then that's probably the main thing. And then I also have an Airbnb. So I own my house. I actually bought it with Bitcoin back in twenty twenty one. That is and so, fucking just, sick. <laughs> that is yeah, so cool. Pretty happy about it. Um, so I had a three-bedroom house, and like the day I moved in, I was just like, I do not need all this space. So I just rented out the other two rooms. Um, and so that's just like, it's about equal to like the YouTube revenue. So those two combined, just like that's the income side of things. And then I put everything into the investment portfolio, which grows faster than the uh the income does so even though i'm not like selling it like realizing the gains they're theoretically there if i were to sell some mm -hmm. assets and stuff that's really cool do you mind like living with a couple other people or one of them um, i don't know how many like what your living situation is like i i guess i kind of asked that as well like a secondary question i'd have like a follow-up would be would you prefer to live alone in a smaller space and then keep that in like an entire Airbnb that's run by somebody else entirely? Yeah, I probably would. It would be more logistically difficult. And mm. uh, like I, I really like living in a house because the house in and of itself, I, I guess I could just make the house Airbnb and only, but the main reason I bought the house was because I was just tired of paying rent. So like throwing money into the void. So throwing I was money, like, yeah. <laughs> I have the money from the Bitcoin, so may as well yeah may as well stop paying rent and i guess also houses tend to accrue value so may as well just do that and then it ended up working out really well i got kind of lucky just because i didn't really know what i was doing probably could have ended up very badly but uh to answer the question yeah i mean it, it does like weigh on me like i have to be quiet at certain hours and like my room is right next to the kitchen so oftentimes there's like a stranger in the kitchen doing not mm there's and i you know i have to sort of hold off on making clips for like five minutes or ten minutes however long it takes them and that definitely weighs on me like pretty noticeably but all things considered i just i just contextualize it like i'm making money for doing nothing yep. and that's worth a lot <laughs> yeah so like yeah. i'm gonna i'm gonna put up with it and luckily i haven't had any like issues with the roommates so that's really nice that's good that's really cool i think that's yeah you're financially aware and uh seems like you've made pretty responsible decisions that's that's really cool that's um so i mean i guess optimally in the next you know decade or so like what what would be your idea of like a great living situation and a great like just kind of future like would I don't know, like, what what do you imagine doing, like, just YouTube as well as, like, just hopefully having just, like, I, I don't know, like, I wonder, like, do you care about, you know, buying more houses and renting those out and, like, kind of building this, or are you more of just, like, whatever is going to keep me satisfied enough, like, I don't, I don't need a, I don't need this constant growth, I'm satisfied with what I have, like, I don't know, like, who, what kind of person are you in that aspect, and what do you, what do you yeah. want in the next decade? Right. Yeah. So I'm a pretty driven person. So like, I'm always have that human innate desire for more, more, more. Although I'll, I'll have to like deal with that sometimes not being like the proper thing to do. But it's it's always like this. I just recognize money as sort of like this amazing, magical financial battery that the more of it you have, 
it's, it's also a self-perpetuating battery because the more of it you have, the stronger it gets. And then eventually you can get to the point where you can, you can, it will propel you into the future itself alone and you don't have to do anything. And so that's like the financial freedom that a lot of us are pursuing. And so that is like a goal that I have broadly. Um, in terms of like working towards achieving that goal, like I'm not driven enough to like go and create a business to try and get there or like, um, uh, yeah, go do anything sort of like very innovative or like novel. I'm, I'm super comfortable with where I am right now. And I know that my conviction in Bitcoin is strong enough such that I'm like perhaps naively confident that within the next 10 years, Bitcoin will have gone up like perhaps a hundred times or so. And so like, um, if, or when that happens, obviously like no matter what I'm doing right now would never be able to outcompete that unless you're talking about like inventing a new social media company or something like absolutely insane. But like, um, yeah, I, I see myself and, and yeah, I don't, my, exp, I, my life, my expenses are so low, like probably like 500 to 600 bucks a month, which is like just nothing. Cause I'm, I'm extremely frugal. Um, and I am, I've been dating this girl for like the last two years. So we're planning to like elevate our circumstances to the point of marriage, probably at some point in the next two years. So the idea would be to like, maybe move. We've just sort of fantasized about moving to new England and keeping the house down here, renting it out as an Airbnb and then like moving up there. And then, yeah, like I mentioned, I'm lucky enough to where I don't have to keep doing a YouTube, which if I did, man, I would, and that's how a lot of YouTubers are. And that's how a lot of Twitch streamers are. So like, I can totally empathize, like, I'm so lucky that I don't have to be able to, I don't have to think about that as like a necessity to maintaining my, my well-being and my lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, hats off to all you guys out there who are, who are doing that yourself included, who are sort of like dependent upon it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, I mean, it's, it's definitely a choice. There's absolutely, it's the choice I've, and many creators have made. I mean, that's just what we want to do. I, and I feel like mm-hmm. a lot of people that even decide to go down the content creation route, depend, it, again, like depending on other circumstances, if you already have like some money funneling in some other avenue, it's a little bit different. But a lot of people jump in because they kind of like that potential risk. It's just a, and, for, and for some reason, like at least in my past of working nine to five jobs and other things, like worked at like a target distribution center, worked at a dollar tree warehouse, worked at a metal factory. I did, I actually did door to door sales in Vegas as well, but like door to door sales was definitely like, even though I hated the sales atmosphere, I still enjoyed the fact that it was pure, pure commission, just all commission based. So mm-hmm. the more I worked, the more I succeeded, the more I was going to make. I hated yeah. the hourly wage. I just, I just oh, yeah. hate it. Just you, you are guaranteed getting paid this much, and especially at these dead end jobs where like you're not really rising it. You're just working there, from, you know, on your off track from school, and then it's just like it. It almost encourages you to just be a shitty employee because you're going to get paid the same yeah. fucking amount, and so you just see your coworkers fucking off. Like I remember this one chick that was working at Dollar Tree for like a year longer than I had. I was just working there for several months and. She's fucking shopping on the job. Like she has a fucking shopping cart, just like buying shit, like just, just stocking up for after her shift. I'm like, bruh, I'm getting paid. She's getting paid more than me, and I'm working my ass off right now. Like, what the fuck yeah. is this shit? 
So yeah, I just, I, I I like the lifestyle that I have now where, and I'm very, very blessed to have an audience, to have people that watch my stuff. Like that's not something that's guaranteed by any means, but the fact that truly I'm just, I, if I work harder, if I want to be more creative, if I really want to push myself, there is that huge window of opportunity that I can push through if I choose to, which is just beautiful. Literally no ceiling. The the ceiling is Mr. Beast, theoretically. So yeah. like that's just that's such a huge motivator to like be able to have that to to like strive for if you wanted to. Yeah. So like And and you were yeah. saying about like money being like a, a, a driver in and of itself, like the more money you have, the more it just kind of like self sustains in a sense, like the, the yeah. more power you have in a in a sense. Like one of the things I've noticed, and this could be flawed in a sense, but like one of the things I've noticed with content creation is like you kind of become a grandfather eventually. You know, you do something for years and years and years. And now it doesn't matter your household name. It's like you mm-hmm. you really can just kind of do whatever. You, you can kind of relax if you chose to. You can always, you know, keep yeah. pushing. But I even think of, you know, and it is absolutely not a knock. This is not saying like they're not, you know, you know, um, reinventing their content or trying to like go crazy. But I think of like Mr. Mammal or or Curtis. And it's like they have put in the hours. They have dedicated themselves for a decade plus. Yeah. And they, they it doesn't matter what they do anymore. Like they're a household name. They've made it. Like they and that is like really what I find to be kind of beautiful about the content creation scene is like just fucking keep making stuff. Like keep making stuff for a decade, two decades, <laughs> eventually two decades. Like just keep doing it. And like, you're just more and more solidifying your spot. Now, of course you can just fucking be a weirdo and just cancel yourself and just do something stupid. But for the most part, if you're just a decent human being and you just keep making fun content, that doesn't need to be a, a absurdly insane. You just keep doing it over time. And you just build up a, a nice little foundation. That's I don't, I don't know. I think that's like something that kind of actually gives me some security in the not so secure space of content creation. It's like, just, just keep oh, making stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Like when I look at Bodhi, for example, like I'm so jealous that I'm not, well, maybe I, yeah, I'm probably jealous, but like he gets to like make a second league account and just like play it. Cause it's fun. Whereas like, I'm sort of, <laughs> yeah, I'm sort of like, I don't really get to do that. Like I could, but like, and it would be fun and I would probably enjoy it, but like my viewership would just plummet. Absolutely so and so like yeah he just gets to have a good time and he's doing he's makes great content and like it's uh that's that's just a self-perpetuating cycle when you enjoy what you do you make good content and then people like that and then you get to enjoy what you do even more and it's just a cycle that positive feedback loop yeah it's really cool and there's something to be it would be it would be fascinating to see like an alternate reality where 2023 Bodhi starts streaming how far does he get you know with the content saturation of, you know, it's, and there's also that thing where, especially in the live streaming area, there is so much to feed off of with high chat interaction. So you could be a really great entertaining streamer, but if your chat interaction is moving like one message every hour, what what are you, how how are you creating content? What are you, what are you doing? Like how, how much fun are you going to be? So there really is that kind of like self-propelling thing where like you just keep doing it. The bigger your audience gets, the more fun you're having. Again, this yep. is talking live streaming, but yeah, it's definitely like really yeah. nice. I've had live streams like during my TOA grind where I would like pull like 
probably like five times more viewers than normal and it was so much fun i was addicted dude like, yeah the chat was just never non-stop i didn't i couldn't look away like i i couldn't go to the bathroom i was just like i have to keep going because like they're gonna leave if i go to the bathroom and like just all this stuff and i'm having such a good time and like this is this is so great and like i totally like i can't imagine like if, if i was like a you know if, i can't imagine what it's like to be one of those like huge guys who just gets like the, I don't the, you can't even read the chat because there's so much going through there. Like, yeah, like um, imagine you could just press the go live button and within ten minutes, two thousand viewers. Yeah, like just basically a guarantee. You would have fun I, all the time. It's just like, yeah. bro, I got so many fucking people to talk to. Let's go. Like just fuck around. You know, just have a good time. When you're so stressed about, okay, the, I really, really got to make this month work. I'm only gonna have two people yeah. talking for the first ten minutes. Like. Right, let's try to be entertaining from the get-go and not get down on my, you know, down in my fucking mind of like thinking how yeah. let's, let's keep hoping this grows. Yeah. There's a lot of stress and anxiety that comes with growing a stream. Absolutely. But yeah. It also teaches you a lot. Like I, I went through that. I mean, I averaged a total of three viewers on average when I looked at my first three months of streaming, that was my average. Yeah. There, there were wow. times where I had zero viewers watching me and I was streaming. Like, what the fuck am I doing? Did you start on Twitch? Yeah, that's how I did it. And that's not the way Dang. to go. It's impressive. Yeah, no, it, it definitely, like, it has shown me a lot. And it's also given me a lot of empathy for people that start off. I, I would not recommend starting off on Twitch. It's not the way to go if you're caring about growth. But um, it's it's definitely a, a, an experience that you, now, whenever I go live, if I focus on it, which doesn't take much. If I really just focus, I'll be like, I am very, very, very grateful to not have just two people in here lurking. <laughs> I'm blessed because I know what it's like. Yeah. yeah, sometimes I'll pop into those zero viewer streams and then when I when I speak with the partner badge, well, I mean, this is sort of separate, but like they, yeah. they sort of make the whole stream around you and then- oh, It's uh, awful. It's yeah. awful, dude. You have to like literally hide the you have, you have to like hide the badge yeah. almost. <laughs> just, yeah. You're right. It's, yeah. That's such a like a fucking like privileged like problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. like, oh, I don't God. even know why I said that. I was gonna no, say something else and I just said that. But. No, no, you're 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 right though. I mean it's it's just the one of the problems. And 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 this is me because I've been on Twitch for years and years and of um is it is so much more comfortable as a viewer entering a large stream because there's no pressure. You could even chat some funny stuff, have a good time in the stream. If you go into a view, uh, stream with eight viewers in and you start having a good time, now you kind of feel all you're glued there. And now you got right. this like natural bad feeling of like, oh, fuck, I'm stuck here now. Like I, I kind of got to keep this yeah. up, kind of wrap things up. Hopefully just, you know, make up an excuse. like, I got to go like fucking make right. dinner or something. But in a bigger stream, there is no pressure. You just go in, have fun, leave whenever you want. And that's yeah. another great thing that those people are privileged to have. It almost incentivizes like just hanging out in the bigger streams, like making the bigger guys bigger. And then I know. Like, so that's, that's so interesting. Just the psychology of all that. I know. And and then, you know, even there there's even that other psychological component where like you think because somebody has a lot of viewers, they must be more entertaining than these lower ones. Yeah. Yeah. And and there's no there's absolutely no evidence to it. And it could be completely false. We completely backwards, but just 
you keep growing, you keep growing. And then people are like, wait, wait, he's growing. He must be amazing at streaming. He must be offering something that other people aren't. And then that keeps growing. So that's, yeah, yeah I think it's called the, the ad populum fallacy. Yeah. Producing from the, the masses or something. It's so fascinating. Yeah, totally. Um, I, I have to pee again. I have to take Yeah, a... me too. Okay, cool. Yeah, the sugar, I just, yeah, I guess as you get older, the sugar, man, I just, I can't really do it so much anymore. It just makes I, yeah. me feel horrible. So. T- completely. Yeah. It's um, actually, I kind of want to, let's, let's talk about that briefly because you're in pretty good shape and um, it looks like you've, you know, you've kept, you've kept, uh, you know, your health in check, um, which it's kind of tough occasionally for people that sit down and play a bunch of RuneScape all day. I mean, actually, to be honest, RuneScape is, I, I feel like, slightly different. I feel like if you're a RuneScape player and you start internalizing the grind, it can actually translate to IRL pretty nicely with, like... kind of crazy, yeah. Yeah. So, I guess that's not actually totally true about, you know, just gamers sitting on their ass all day, but it, it happens here and there. So, how how do you maintain, you know, your own healthy lifestyle choices so that you remain healthy minded and body um you have like a routine like anything like that do you i don't know no no no. well i guess kind of yeah but like mostly what it is is it's like i just i'm kind of sensitive broadly so like after sitting at my desk from like 10 a.m to like 4 p.m i'll start to feel like and as the sun goes down especially i'll start to feel like just insanely like jittery and like I'll, I'll have eaten like probably one or two meals by then so all the protein setting in and all the carbs are like metabolizing and so like i just feel like i need to go run a marathon and so like that's what i'll do i'll just get up and i'll just go fucking run and like run into the sun and then like uh just go do a bunch of like high intensity workouts um I used to live right next to this like really beautiful like massive park back when I lived in Illinois in the Midwest. And that's what I would do every day. I would just yeah like 4 p.m. like clockwork. I would just my body was so used to it. I'd get up and I'd go run around in the park for two hours. I'd do push-ups and pull-ups on all of the playground equipment and just like yeah I would look into like I would do like dips and like calf extensions and like all of the really into like calisthenics because it's free so I'm, that it taps into that frugality that i admire so much and so by the time i'm done with all that i come home take a shower have a giant meal and i feel amazing and so like i just got addicted to that feeling of being amazing my body just adapted to it to like the point where if i didn't do it i would feel horrible and so i'm like <laughs> all right time to go get up and do it and then yeah it's, it's great you, you said you were you used to bike a lot is that still the case yeah, yeah. When I was in Illinois, I would bike for twenty miles a day, or like probably like thirty miles a day some days. And so I would just throw on a two to three hour podcast. And the thing is, is like I didn't even I got to the point where like I didn't even really feel like it was a workout because I was just so like it felt so great and like every pedal of the bike it just felt so rhythmic and like for some reason I always like. I denominate everything in rhythms. So like something has a rhythm, I can literally do it forever and not feel the exertion of it. It's just like, I don't know. It's like some sort of tribal, like 
drumming rhythm thing that's like instilled in so, my fibers. So, so you're saying you're going to go for 200 mil mining at the quarry? <laughs> no. Well, I mean, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, no, honestly. Yeah, let's fucking go. No. Uh, that's, I, I'm completely with you. Like that, the rhythm base. I mean, the fact that you literally five starred almost every song on Guitar Hero, like just, we have that. I know what yeah. you're talking about with that. Yeah. fucking rhythm you just get into it like in the flow when i'm walking every step i take it's like bum bum bum, bum. and yep. like, i don't know it's like a drum beat or something or like dude it's just i don't know everywhere that was actually my so i got my bike earlier this just this past summer and i was actually worried about getting a bike because i was so used to my walks and my runs and there's mm -hmm. something very rhythmic about truly yeah. being grounded you know just stepping and with a cycle, you're just, you're, there's no real stepping. It's just this constant cycle. And I actually got a stationary bike before I got my real bike. And that stationary bike, it actually made me like kind of scared to get a normal bike because obviously stationary bikes like suck in comparison to a real bike because you have to continually pedal. There is no just going downhill. There's just a nonstop thing. And you never get that satisfaction of the wheel just spinning hella fast. Um, mm -hmm. But no, I, I'll be completely honest. Like I was worried about me lacking that rhythm with biking, but you can still get it with biking. Just it's it's in a different way. You're still getting that kind of groundedness with the pedals. Not not quite as much as running or walking, but yeah, I think it's yeah. I think you might be more rhythmic than me, because or like more like uh, like you experience more pleasure from it or something. Because for me, yeah, for me the biking. Now that I'm thinking about it, yeah, like biking is rhythmic, but it's definitely not as rhythmic as walking. But I never would have like thought that independently. Um, yeah, yeah, I well, I I started like really getting. I mean, I was walking in 2022. I mean, I was taking like 400 steps a day, or for, sorry, 400. I was doing 400,000 <laughs> steps a month. I just completely butchered that. Butchered that. But like, I, I, I was literally like, I, I'd go out for, you know, 15,000 steps, sometimes 25,000 steps. I just, yeah. it would be a couple days I'd miss. But I, I mean, I just loved walking and I would walk for three hours some days and just listen to a podcast yeah. and, and, or music. I mean, you know, and, you know, some, some of the days I'd get fucking high as hell and just go out and walk and just listening to music and getting in that stepping rhythm. It's like, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. So, uh, but now by, I'm a huge fan of bike and I have a really nice bike and it's just, and I, and of, of course I live in Eugene, Oregon, like the bike city of the world, just fucking oh, bike yeah. paths everywhere and they're all perfectly paved and actually maintained. It's really nice. Yeah. That sounds awesome. Yeah. So, um, that, that's cool though. I'm, I, we, I, I feel like we've, you know, I was never, I, I think in, toward the end of my, um, high school career, I started getting into fitness. I started caring. I think one of the catalyst for it was really a nutrition class I took that was just an elective. And one of the most unfortunate things about like the schooling system, at least in the United States, is like you just really, there's no core classes, at least where I was, where they're teaching you about fitness and calorie. Like, yes, PE is something you do, but it's PE is just like fucking running around as a kid and just having fun. But like nutrition and how to read a nutrition label correctly. That that was just kind of stuff you had to learn on your own or your family had to teach you. It's like there's yeah. no real core class you took to learn these things and just how exercise works and how 
you know, uh, inhaling and exhaling is actually what's burning the calories, not you fucking sweating and just the, these things that you, you just don't actually know until you do some research. And the nutrition class I took, the teacher was so good at it, at really making me just excited about uh, nutrition. I just got obsessed with that. I started calorie counting my senior year and I got really lean and r- just running a lot and doing sports and stuff. And then college i started like hitting the weights and stuff at the gym and then of course i played runescape and i just got like just sat on my ass for three years and kind of gained some weight back but <laughs> it just over the past couple of years i've been really getting back into that flow of things where where you said not doing it feels like shit like it's literally yeah, a part of me now like i need to go do some push-ups i need to fucking go run i need to do something yeah and what happens is like and people will tell you this like they'll get addicted to running and they don't even like it's it's, it becomes a chore but you have to take care of your body and what happens (laughs) is like if you don't run for like a month then that for me at least that desire to run kind of goes away Mm -hmm. and when that happens like i know that i'm not gonna run anymore unless i like it's, it's then at that point it becomes a chore to like remind myself to run and like go out and exercise so it's like I really actually like that it makes me feel bad when I don't run because I don't know if I would have the, you know, the drive to go out and do it if it wasn't the case. Yeah. The the motivation lasts for so long and then it's just routine, but no, you're totally right. And the opposite, like the, the opposite really sucks. Like you said, just like when you get into that really lazy rut that can happen, I had it for years where it's just like, Oh my God, like, the amount of work it's going to take to get the physique I want to get, you know, get back into shape and just not eating as shitty as I have been. And just like, it's just, it's all habits at the end of the day. And most of these habits only take about three to four weeks to really start ingraining in yourself. So Mm -hmm. it's always the first few weeks that suck doing anything, but you're totally right. That bad feeling is so nice to have. It's like a reminder. It's like, okay, let's, let's keep this please. Right. That's cool. Um, okay, let's see. Dayton, well, one of his questions that I'm curious of as well is, what hobbies do you have outside of OSRS? And I guess we'll include fitness in that as well. Hmm. I For some reason, I never like this question about hobbies because, like, I, I imagine that people who say the word hobby, like, think to themselves that they have hobbies and these hobbies give them fulfillment and if it weren't for their hobbies, then they would not be happy or something. But like for me, like uh, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't think about it in terms of hobbies because I guess like pretty much no matter what I'm doing, I can find, I try and find the beauty in, in it or like sort of like extract meaningful experience out of it, or like like I could be sewing or something and be like, wow, this is so interesting. How like. The needle goes through this and it's like satisfying to feel the fabric and like i wonder where this mechanism came from or like the historical context or like i don't know my mind just starts like going and then like i think like there's there's insights to be had no matter what it is that you're doing and so like in terms of like finding a hobby that i like I guess that would like seem to imply maybe that there's things that I don't like to do and so then therefore these things are my hobbies and these things I don't like I don't, I don't know if any of that tracks onto anything that's actually right or true, but like, I just, uh, I just like everything. <laughs> so like, um, it's hard to like say things that are my hobby 
because I just don't think about it that way. But I could probably also come up with like a more normal response. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think that was beautiful. I, I That's why I like talking to you because just, I don't know what to expect. Most people would just be like, oh, you know, I just like, like animals and I like collecting coins and shit. I don't know. Um, yeah. No, I think, I think that's what, I, I think that's a good answer, honestly. But um, it really does sound like, at least according to like the beginning of our conversation, you're fascinated with science and truth and the never-ending just amount of knowledge that is out there that can be obtained in a sense. One of your yeah, fascinations, absolutely. at least. Maybe not hobbies, but fascinations. Well, well, science is just great because it's like, it's a fundamental understanding mechanism. So like when you're tapping into science, you're just like, that's everything. Every If, if science is, exists in any capacity, it, it, it exists to measure everything. And so mm -hmm. like, that's everything like so that now you're looking at everything you're that's so you're really anywhere you can go from there so like yeah okay let's see uh this is kind of drifting back into runescape jet jetepper gtepper uh osrs newer uims don't have the same struggles Guardians of the Rift instead of library, buffed POH storage, buying looting bags, death mechanic changes. I'll just include noted potions as well in that. Um, is it good that the game mode is more accessible to more casual players? And any thoughts on the polling system and specific UIM polls? Yeah, so generally speaking, I'm an extremely unopinionated person. So like in terms of like the development of the game and its progress into the future and how we implement things now to make things better later. I'm like the last person to ask about that. Cause like it's, it's also complicated. And if you pull one lever, like 10 other levers get pulled as a consequence of that. And like, there's a lot of unintended things that can happen. And I'm, there's people who are way better at doing all that sort of thinking than me. So like my answer would be like, I have no idea. I, I will say that like, of course, like, making the game easier for new players seems like on its face to be like a good thing. Cause that's how you get the game to grow. Um, I guess so. And so like, yeah. And I guess like implicitly there's this idea that, you know, I suffered. So now you have to suffer with the same things that I had to do, which is, I don't think that's very good. Like I get where it comes from, but it's sort of like not really like a great, it's not like a broadly uh, robust viewpoint doesn't really help anything. It, there's a so small like, element it captures, but the overall like that, it just yeah. making that argument is just stupid. Yeah. It's a, but right. again, it's like the, the game fundamentally is there is something about not devaluing grinds. I mean, the, the this whole right. game is grinding. It's just pushing a rock up a fucking hill nonstop. Like you, you don't want to just yeah. get rid of that. But, yeah, it's a, so there's not like a perfect answer for it because yeah, yeah. both sides have validity there. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, th I mean, I, I guess we uh, definitely are, are not similar in this aspect. I'm very much like wanting, I, I think so much about the game. And so at night, I'll just imagine, you know, the things I'm working on in game, the things I would like to see in the game, the, the updates I think would be beneficial to the game. And I really try to take a, kind of unbiased view the problem is is like i'm not just playing everybody's account i don't know everything i don't know all the bull you know 
you pull one lever, 10 things get shifted because that happens a lot. And I don't think about all those things, but for the most part, I, I, I really do want the game to be fun like that. I feel like that's the very center. Again, it can't all be centered around fun because then you just go crazy with just crazy XP rates and stuff. But that should be the core of it is like making things fun and enjoyable because it is a video game at the end of the day. And, uh, but yeah, I guess we kind of depart in that. I'm, I'm very much like, I, I, for some reason, part of me, it's not hyper controlling. I think it's just because I am like granted the opportunity and blessing of just having an audience to share my stupid ideas with. So I get really fascinated with just thinking about how the game could change over the years. Just love. Like, no, I've, I've heard some of your takes and like a lot of them are like really good. Like I, I remember you invented the light bearer before the light bearer, it, existed yeah so like, yeah <laughs> like uh no there's like a you're definitely much more equipped to like think of these kinds of things than i am because like i mentioned i'm just i'm not like i don't i don't have that gene for like that, yeah that, kind of thinking. that that's what's so fascinating is like again like what we were talking about earlier it's like everyone's software runs differently and like people just think differently and i've always been that creative type. like i'm always thinking of new things that could be in the game that could be cool and there's so many people like, I'm just, yeah, I just can't even think that way. I just don't care. Like whatever they come out with, I'm like, oh, I could have never thought of that. I'm like, really? I guess everyone's just different. Well, it's, it's also like the, the way that it impacts the rest of the game. That That's like, that's the hard part for me. Cause like, I could probably come up with like a mini game or something that's like fun to play and like is worthwhile and like is balanced, but like so how it affects the rest yeah. of the game. Like, Especially with like with like a big update like Guardians of the Rift, like I don't I wouldn't be comfortable submitting that, like, because it's just so game sh- shifting. But like if if it is balanced, then like I guess then that's great and we should keep it. But like, yeah, see this is this is where this is when it when it starts influencing other things. That's where it gets tricky. Yeah, interesting. Okay, uh, Spook Dog asks, "What do you think dark matter is?" Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> throwing me under the bus here uh dog all right well yeah there's i don't imagine there's like gonna be any like right at, uh, those of you who don't know dark matter is just like uh the anti-gravity mechanism that we observe in the universe and the reason we call it dark matter is because we can't see anything happening so dark matter is just a name it's just a fill-in name to explain this phenomena that we can't understand so do i think it is i think what i guess the textbooks will tell you that it's the anti-gravity i like it okay um iron durr asks or says thoughts on how the pyramids were made Mm. yeah i guess i tend to agree with the scientific consensus but at the same time i'm open-minded to any scientific idea I have being completely wrong. So like, okay. So one thing to say is like, we const like throughout the history of humanity, we're constantly discovering new things that undermine our previous understandings to the point where those understandings are worthless. So like we used to think that the earth was at the center of the universe, for example, mm-hmm. and all of our models were based on that. But when suddenly that's not true, all the models that we have also must consequently go out the window as a as a consequence of that of course and so like that that that's like a pretty big one the uh, geocentrism and there's like there's a ton of other things like that that happen all the time 
where like we have to constantly rework our models to fit the things that we find. And I mean, now we have like science, which is pretty good. I mean, like it's implicit within the scientific model that we as humans have to be able to interpret and perceive and understand the things that we're seeing for them to even make it into our scientific models. So if there's anything beyond our perception, we're never going to know. It's never going to make it into the scientific models. And then therefore science is is great in terms of like a from the perspective of an observer. But if there's like an objective reality out there, we wouldn't be able to perceive it to the to the point where we could measure it and thusly incorporate into our models. So it's like no matter what the conversation is um, about anything, it's it's always in the back of my mind that like you know we could have some massive groundbreaking new discovery that changes everything at any moment that could happen. And so like and speaking of putting all your eggs in one basket, like I'll I will never think that something is one hundred percent undeniably true no matter what because. Like I said, it could be it can be undermined at any at any moment with any new discovery, and so like I feel like that's just like a really val like it's a really it's really valuable for my life just because like it 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 forces you to not be too attached to your beliefs because and then and then the product of that is like when you're not like too attached to anything you're sort of just generally neutral towards everything and nothing can really like affect you in a bad way because well you're you're already open to that thing not being essential. And so, like, um, yeah, that's really great. And then also, obviously, it just lends itself to being, like, uh, more able to dig deeper into those truths that could be out there. And so that's just a fascinating endeavor because imagine discovering something like that. Like, that would be so interesting. That'd be the most interesting thing. And so... Yeah. Now it's yeah. I, I, that's actually one of the, like the most beautiful things about living in this world is like there are so many unknowns and they're just waiting to be un, uh, uncovered, basically discovered. But, yeah. Um. So this is kind of like a little bit of a deep question. Do Do you think there's um something after this after this life? Like, what do you lean on? So. Yeah, so I've got, like, this really weird response to this. So, like, I'm just going to say it, and then we can dance around it however we want. But, like, I don't, like, see, I don't identify as, like, a human. I don't identify, so, as anything. So that includes being a human. That includes being a, an emotional being or, you know, whatever, a conceptual being. Like, even being itself, what is being? I don't identify as being. So... In terms of like the whole life versus death death thing, like I don't see myself as alive, so therefore I don't see myself as having the capacity to even die. And so like the the question never. I mean, I can I can play with the question just for fun, but like ultimately it has no bearing over. It doesn't have much bearing over any way in, in any way to my life. So like, and I say life right there just because that's how we speak mm -hmm. and that's how we communicate but that doesn't mean that i you know think that i'm alive by saying that i think i don't know part of the beauty of life is just not knowing it's like the unknown i think that like keeps life like really entertaining and just not boring as soon as you like absolutely understood everything i think i think at that point you'd want to just be uh like reincarnated as something that i didn't know you just want to like have the excitement again but um i think that's at least what i lean on so i for some reason 
this is again i'm not gonna i'm not gonna die on any hill or anything i remain agnostic and open-minded about a lot of things but i I guess something that kind of gives me comfort is like the fact that i'm alive right now or i you know just the, the fact that there is something happening currently which is consciousness means that there's something bigger at play i think and uh i think like I, you know, like listening to Alan Watts where like he, he talks a lot about this kind of idea of like, what would you do if you were God and you'd want to forget your God, you know, you'd want right. to just like, because he'd be so boring, you know, you're just like, what are, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. He makes the analogy to like dreams and being able to control your own dreams. And eventually the best dream, once you've dreamed every possible dream, you would ultimately just want the dream to unfold before you. And yeah. that's the world we live in, is the world is unfolding before us. It's so beautiful and perfect, and I love that. I know. Right. I know it is. And it, it, for some reason, like, something that always... And, and I, I don't think we could ever possibly comprehend everything. Like, it's just like, as a primate on Earth, it's just like, like impossible. Like, your brain couldn't fathom it or something. I just, I just don't think it's possible to understand what we don't understand, couldn't understand but something that kind of gives me comfort is like the, if, if I was God, you know, as a human, if I, if I could choose to be God, what, what would be amazing is to like create a story that's so complex. Like just imagine like the, the creation of the universe and life itself and this huge unraveling over billions and billions of years. And then what would you want to do as God is like, you'd want to play the characters, you know, you'd want to like live it, you know, in a, in a sense and just be every character, experience all the emotion, experience all the everything of a billion years because you're god like why not just fucking mess around and do something crazy like just make a universe and just see what happens but you already know how it plays out but when you play the characters you have no idea you know you're just you're you're a storybook character that just doesn't know what's going to happen but it's going to happen and then yeah like, that's super interesting yeah like somehow you'd have to like impose upon each individual like a <clears throat> a restrictor that they wouldn't be aware of themselves as the god and then, I mean, I don't, I don't know how, how it would work. Yeah, like, <laughs> I don't know either, but it's like, <laughs> who knows? Like, if, you, if you're literally God, you're just like, it's unfathomable yeah. power and just uh, omnipotence. You just, I, I, I have no idea. I don't even know what God even means. Because, like, God would just, it would have to be everything. Like, you are just literally everything. And that's like the panpsychist view. It's like, everything's conscious. Like, and how, how could... How could a God not be that? That's the other thing when like, I think about like traditional religion, especially like monotheistic religions, like what, like is, so God is a person and he just commands you to do stuff. Like what, 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 like would you do that? Like if you were God, would you want to do it? Like, what the hell is that? Like, why, why would you want to just like be controlling and do all this like weird shit? Like, and, and if you're God, aren't you actually everything? Cause if, the person you're because you know like in the traditional sense if you're sending somebody to hell like so you're saying those people are not god so god technically isn't everything he's not omnipotent right. if he's not you so but like what, what's going on here so i feel like god has to be all-encompassing everything or else he's not god or she or it or whatever it's not god i, I don't know i just I get really fascinated about this like no yeah that i think that was a that was a realization i had and a lot of us have had at one point which is like we are the universe in some sense or like 
we're, we're the universe's way of exp we are the universe's way of experiencing a person and then a person is a way of the universe fuck i always mess this up the person is a way of the universe experiencing i don't know i, I can't, <laughs> yeah, I think, I can't I... think of the words right now but like um i also want to i also want to mention that you've there's this idea of consciousness that you keep that you've that you're leaning on here i think for your uh for this for this part of the conversation mm -hmm. um which i guess it might be worthwhile mentioning that um included with not being alive i'm also not conscious because consciousness i mean this is the way i see it consciousness is like a it's a it's a concept it's like it's the way that we deviate our own experiences from the experiences of those which we deem as unconscious because for whatever reason we can't deeply connect to those things in ways that are tangible with our via our uh ways of measuring things and so when you rip away consciousness the rest of everything else also rips away as well and so like is your your question about what happens after life and death uh it, it must be it, it sort of embeds within it the idea of consciousness and then i think you said it like a few more times after so i just wanted to poke at that to see what you would what you would say well i mean well so i i don't think i fully grasp what, what you've asked me but um can you explain it a little bit clearer just like before i answer i, I don't make a fool of myself sure sure so you so you would say that humans are conscious yeah and when and mm -hmm. the there's the hard problem of consciousness which yeah. is like a an issue that philosophers have dealt with for throughout antiquity and so we actually don't know what consciousness is we can't measure it there's no like point it in the brain where, where this is conscious and this isn't conscious or mm -hmm. even consciousness among humans like a lot of times we'll say that this person person is no longer con conscious and so they you know we can justify killing them because they're it's a vegetable or whatever and so um the idea of consciousness as far as i can tell is a human-made construct well, and, yeah, I feel like anything like it just has to be a human-made construct, in a sense. Right, but, and so, but but wouldn't you say like let me just stop you right there for a second? Like, wouldn't you say sure. consciousness? Like, I, I guess according to Sam Harris, like that's the one thing that is completely like undeniable, like the fact that we're conscious. So you're not saying that consciousness itself is like an illusion or anything like that. You're just saying like. Um, you're saying it's like a construct, but like it's definitely undeniable that there is such a thing as consciousness happening right now. Like we are, you know, whatever whatever's happening is consciousness. Like the experience that you're having currently is you're clearly conscious because something's happening. Well, that's. I mean, I don't know. Like that's the way that we context. That's the way that we conceive of it. But like, so, so are that, you are you saying there's a chance that you're not conscious currently, or that no, there I'm is saying no like, such? I'm saying that the concept of consciousness mm. isn't like an implicit part of the universe that that we like must be experiencing in order to experience, or in order to even be, or in order for anything to be. Like, well, yeah, that that's that's true. I believe that you, there there doesn't have to be consciousness for something to be something. I think. 
think that is the hard problem of consciousness. Like why there is no need for us to have, uh, to experience what it's like to be a human. We could have just been human and no experience is happening. Just fucking go through the motions like a zombie. So you're like, I don't know. Like, uh, I, I, at least, at least what I'm kind of getting from it is like, I believe that consciousness is like the one irrevocable truth. It's like, it's like there, it might be like a, like the word consciousness is something, but like something okay. is clearly happening. That's undeniable. So this, this, this might actually get to a deeper level, which okay. might be more productive. Do you, do you believe there is an objective reality? Um, it's hard to, uh, like, what, what do you mean? Can you like expand further on it? Cause I, I've definitely sure. like, I love this question. I love this like deep stuff, but ex expand on it. So there, there's a way in which we can denominate our understandings of the universe as subjective because they come through our subjective lens and we're only able to perceive that which we can perceive. So mm -hmm. uh, it's possible that there are things beyond our perception that we'll never be able to perceive just because we can't perceive them. And then, you know, you might call that like base reality or like fundamental reality or objective reality, just sort of like yeah, yeah. The, fa the fabric of space-time which exists regardless of us observing it um i i almost think there has to be objective reality only because like there is something happening i, I just uh, for some reason in my head and you could you know you can let me know what you think about it i feel like the fact that there is just anything going on whatsoever that is undeniable means there must be some sort of objective reality can now the other question is like can we know that um well i think I don't think we can know what objective reality is. I just think that, like, I feel like there has to be objective reality because something's right, okay. going on. But uh, what do you think about that? Oh, yeah. So this is the reason I asked this is because it's like it's very similar to the consciousness question because it would seem to follow that in order for anything to be, there would have to be, like, being would have to be a thing to be. Mm -hmm. And so, like, these things have to exist for them to exist and like i guess presumably they would have to like exist somewhere as opposed to nowhere because if they didn't exist anywhere then they wouldn't be anywhere and so like it's like yeah this landscape for all the things that are to unfold throughout space-time is what we just like call objective reality the most fundamental base layer of existence that everything else exists atop and everything that exists on top of it relies on the fundamental underpinning which is the objective reality to be there otherwise it, it wouldn't be able to to be there so in that sense i, I guess I, I don't know i kind of think of it like layers so like you have the base reality and then you have like extremely extremely broad concepts such as you know consciousness would be there probably like being itself existence and then above that you have like you know, um, experience would probably be there, like individual experience, collective experience, and like every form of sensation and perception comes along with that. And then once, you, and then you eventually you get to things like basketball, and then like above that, it just gets it gets yeah, yeah. more and more yeah. like abstract. You start off on that base fundamental level, and I guess the, the reason I'm saying any of this is because like, I guess I would never say that anything must be including the concept of objective reality itself so like really and including consciousness itself 
So like, but how does, how did, how is there an experience happening? Like how, I what mean, what is experience? What we're experiencing right now. Like that, that's like the, the absolute undeniable thing. That's there's right, something happening. The way like, like so, so, so wait, say, but, so let, let me just ask this. Um, so you think it's possible, at least what I'm saying, you can, you know, kind of frame it however you want, but the experience that I claim that we're having, that's undeniable. You think, correct me if I'm wrong, you think that that could happen without any objective reality? Like that that could just kind of come to be somehow? Or or it's an illusion in well, and of itself? Because I don't think consciousness can be an illusion, I just think. But I mean, Oh, yeah, I would say that's mouth. a subjective reality. And things like consciousness, we don't like choose to exist. We, we, don't, we don't choose for that, you know, idea to be there. So it's placed beyond the subjective because generally when we say subjective, it's like things that we have, it's, you know, those are things that we're like able to measure and like control to some extent and observe. And they're just there. Mm. But like, like, like we're limited, like our capacities are limited to being, are limited in such that they can only perceive certain things. And those, those things are subject. Those are the subjective experience of being a human. So like, like we, there's there's no way I, yeah i guess you can't feasibly prove that there is an objective reality or there isn't because that would require you to know that there is something beyond the subjective reality that exists there which by definition is impossible and so i guess like i really want to embody and internalize that as a potential truth which means that it's it can't be undeniably true mm. there is that objective reality yeah, that's, I, I mean, I think it's just fascinating because I, again, like I, I totally agree with the point that I don't think we will, especially in our human form, like I don't think objective reality could ever even be comprehended. But I, and again, I have not gone down this rabbit hole by any means, really. I just, this is like the first time I'm kind of talking about it with words. <laughs> but like, I guess my intuition is that it's impossible to have any form of experience including what, what what i'm considering consciousness is just any experience happening that's undeniable without an objective reality but i could be i could be wrong on that and i i just i don't understand fully what it really means to have objective reality i guess yeah I and think it, to... even even like objective reality like again like i don't think it's even fathomable to understand what that is but that sounds scary for some reason to like kind of be at the base level I, I don't know is that like that seems terrifying in a sense well yeah i mean that's what it would be you would your human form would cease and all of your memories and experiences would cease because those are all subjective experience or subject that's a subject subjective lens that comes along with being a human so i guess it so wouldn't be terrifying though because then you wouldn't be in the human well, form it would be terrifying from the outward perspective of the human but like it's, it's the same uh as if like the it's the same experience you had before you were born mm -hmm. whatever, whatever after you die or whatever as uh, i guess like it would be from the perspective of the objective reality perspective as opposed to like the religious type stuff but not to say that religion isn't objective or anything but um uh yeah so embodying that objective reality you're yeah everything would cease you there is to even 
try and quantify it any way in any way possible as a human would not be reaching it adequately just by definition so like damn yeah 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 that's fucking deep okay so this is um kind of wrap things up a little bit but what what are your what are your thoughts on love like um just love being a thing is it is it just purely the the chemicals in the brain that make us feel good uh, or, or do you think there's something almost like fundamental about the concept of love and i i guess i'm also assuming i, I we only really talked about one of your mushroom trips i don't know if you've only done a trip or something or if you've ever experienced that that pure like unconditional love in a human form of just feeling one with the universe and oh yeah uh, what do you think there's something deeper to the meaning of love that goes beyond like human existence yeah that's a great question i'll just say that i don't have an answer i don't know i think for me when i when i think about it like for me um yeah i mean it, it can't be well I was going to say it can't be anything outside of the human capacity, human sort of like conjured up concepts that we create to, that we have to understand things. It can't, there's no way it can be anything outside of that. But I guess theoretically, like it, love could be some sort of like universal, by, by that I mean like the entire universe's way of like somehow flowing energy through yeah, I don't even, yeah, it's a flow of energy that when we experience it, it feels like a certain thing and we can all bond over that feeling as humans. And so that's, I guess that's possible. I mean, like, um, yeah, I, I just, I, I just tend to think that love for the most part is like, it's both a cultural phenomena that are, that just has arisen since the, uh, the, the dawn of man perhaps before that, but I don't know. And it's a, it's a social cohesion mechanism for us to, to bond with one another and to form experience into form uh, relationships, which will, you know, evolutionarily serve to perpetuate our genes into the future, which is like the main goal of DNA to do that. And so I think with sex, like sex didn't always exist. Sex existed. Like I think like, couple billion years ago but there was plenty of time before sex existed and not like normal human sex but like just the male and female gametes mm -hmm. like those didn't always exist and so you know we tend to correlate love with like you know um the viewing it through the lens of the gametes and such but um yeah, i guess i'm just open-minded to it being anything and thusly uh, i don't have like a very firm opinion on what it is interesting yeah no but yeah at the end of the day everything just comes back down to sex doesn't it just, that's the only thing that matters <laughs> <laughs> just spreading our genes um yeah okay uh loki this has been uh an absolute pleasure we went everywhere didn't we yeah that was great man <laughs> i feel great whenever i have these talks like it just feels so good because like you, when you bounce your ideas off people and they bounce your, their ideas off you and then you just like it's, it's you're creating an entity that exists in the material world it's like a relationship is a real it's like a tangible thing and it grows and it changes and it morphs and like 
you add things to it and you take things away and like you can tap into that whenever you want and like other times like you might not talk to anyone for a whole week and then you might feel totally different and then the moment you tap into that thing it's like it's just there and then like when you've seen a friend that you haven't seen in 10 years and it's like you you see each other and suddenly it feels like no time's passed at all because mm-hmm. you're just picking up that thing you left on the ground 10 years ago and it's just completely intact and so yeah just having these talks is a good reminder for me for the things that i care about deeply because i don't always think about them because you know i'm experiencing the day-to-day stuff and now i got to have a great day because that was like fucking four hours or something yeah so, it was yeah no, that'll sir. set me up for like a good week or, or a week or so hell yeah now you're uh you're definitely one of my favorites in the community this was like seriously just it i guess it's just well one of uh one one of it or one one of the reasons why it's so fun talking to you is because we do have a lot of similarities and we clearly have some similar experiences that we've been through so like but i I love how open-minded you are and i love how like deeply you think about stuff because that's it's important to me i think just to think deeply and just i don't know i just love it i'm just fascinated by life itself and just our existence and everything else so uh yeah thank you for coming on of course man yeah it's a pleasure to talk to you and yeah hopefully we can uh do this again sometime maybe totally no that's definitely on the table very soon hopefully um for those listening down in the description i'll have loki's uh youtube twitter do you want do you want your twitch as well i, I don't know if you stream here and there and you yeah, want sure you can like okay you can throw it on there is there any other links you want youtube twitch i guess like uh sometimes i like to promote the instagram okay but, yeah, yeah i'll have that just i'll uh I'll, I'll have all your links down there so for those listening go go follow them for me and uh, if you want to support the cast as well there's a patreon and a youtube membership link down there um yeah this was this was awesome next saturday so this upcoming saturday we're having purple thorax on the cast who is a high level iron man he's definitely has been playing the game for ages and he's definitely got like a really solid understanding of the game he's been playing iron man forever he's got a very high level iron man he plays other accounts as well so i'm really excited to talk to him so that'll be episode 150 which i'm excited as well it's another little milestone so Thank you guys for all listening. Loki, thank you again. And we will catch you guys in the next one. Peace. Later. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.